Hey, this is Alex with Bass and Brews. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So easy, Paul can do it. Hey, this is Alex with Bass and Brews. No Bass and Brews podcast would be complete without my underwater robberies hat. You know that green one that I always wear? Well, you can pick that up at hooksethoodlums.com. One of the best teams out on the market right now, that Hookset Hoodlums team, and the gear is always on point. So make sure you go check them out. And remember, one passion, one team. Oh, shit, I got to take the standby. Hey, hey, oh, see, you, know, you can tell Alex is in charge. I can't even get my stuff right. Look, welcome, welcome, welcome to Bass and Brews live on a Friday night. Impromptu, we, we're going to have, hey, look at me. my man has his Red Bulls, Lord. He ain't going to sleep. I, he's probably, he's going to probably gonna, gonna be up fishing at, at, at three o'clock in the morning. What's up, man? We got Joe LaBarbera. I know how to pronounce his last name, Ralph. We got him joining me. We might have some other people join us. I don't know, but we're going to talk fishing tonight. We're just going to talk whatever comes up. You know, we're here. We're here. So we're going to go there. Joe, what's up, Hoss? It's happening, buddy. Living the dream. <laughs> Big bass dreams? Always. Always. <laughs> you've been Can't fishing lately or, or you've been working? What you been up to? Well, so I've been doing a little of both. Uh, went out with some buddies on a night of last weekend because my lower unit's in a few pieces. Uh, blew, blew the gearbox up, what, like two weeks ago? It's keeping me from going to Texas right now or I'd be probably leaving. I'd probably be there already. Uh, we uh, we have Kurt Dove's pro game. Uh, bass camp down on Amistad that I have to miss now while I'm waiting for warranty parts to come in. But yeah, it was blowing like 62, nice and easy across Oneida a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Gearbox flew into a million pieces. So just waiting for waiting for a new one to come in and we'll get her all fixed up. And I mean, honestly, like it's all right though, because now when when I do get her fixed, it's just like full on in New York. Like I think uh, temperatures are rising on Cayuga and Oneida, so the smallies are going to start spawning here on Oneida like yesterday, and uh, the largemouth will start spawning at Cayuga a couple, you know, just shortly after that. So it'll be hot and heavy. Like things in New York happen really fast. So that's the thing about like Minnesota the Northeast stuff happens quick. So, I mean, grass grows fast, spawn comes and goes fast. They get into their summertime patterns fast. So like, you gotta be ready. So like Red Bull is just to fuel the continual tackle prep that takes place every (laughs) single night in the palace here. And yeah, so we're good. Life is good. I got nothing but fun things ahead of me. 
so so you you said Minnesota and then the Northeast, and I just got a geography lesson from Sean the Fisherman over at Jugs and Bugs. And okay. hey, Frank, <laughs> oh, we got Frankie. Woo! Oh, yeah, I got to pull up the comments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I should have given you uh, uh, some admin rights to help me with the comments. Though we, that's probably the only comment we're gonna get tonight. But that's all good. If it's Frankie commenting, we good. We good. If Frankie wants to come on. You holler at me, Frankie. I'll send you the link. But the the Northeast apparently is is does not in, in, encompass New York. And and I got chastised from that by shown shown the fisherman. And I was like, you know what? If, if it ain't if it ain't the Carolinas, Georgia, and parts of Virginia, it's everywhere else. It's out yonder ways. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> so so yeah. so you. Everything's about to kick off. Spawning oh, yeah. smallies. What about the largemouth yeah. bite? What what the largemouth gonna be doing? So the smallmouth tend to pop off first wherever we live. So like Oneida's the hmm. most shallow fishery of all of them in New York. So everything will usually happen there first. Um unless you go like over to Buffalo and Lake Erie um, in western New York. The, they're they're already like in it now over in Buffalo, which is like three and a half hours from me. If I go an hour and forty five minutes or two hours north of Matonita, so uh, things things have started in western New York. Oneida's Oneida will pop off, and then we'll move up to the river um, and Thousand Islands. After that, um, and while the smallmouth are spawning on Thousand Islands, the largemouth starts spawning on. Cayuga um, and Seneca and Cuca. And so like things will really, really be kicking off like all through June. And it's what, like the 27th today, something like that. Yeah. So like, I mean, there's always something going on in June. You just can kind of bounce from lake to lake and the smallies will go. And as soon as the smallies get like hard post spawn, the largies start going in a lot of those places. So are you just targeting the smallies during this time? Because, you know, in, in, in my, what I know of smallmouth fishing comes from the folks that I follow that smallmouth fish. Do, do you just continue to target those or will you go and target those, those large mouth when they start spawning? Just kind of depends. Like Oliver and I are going to film some stuff, large mouth, like big bait related on Cayuga. I mean, it kind of depends mm-hmm. on like where our tournaments are going, what kind of spring we had. See, we don't start tournament fishing in the state of New York until June 15th. The law and like, you're not allowed to target smallmouth in a lot of counties in New York until June 15th. You're not allowed to target black bass species. So like, you know, I do a lot of perch fishing, a lot of walleye fishing with my bait casting rods. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know. Are, are, are uh, you catching those to eat or are you just catching them to feel the tug? Catching those. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm. Don't uh, play with my emotions. No, no. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like. You know, nothing beats walleye. I'll eat that fish over any other species of fish on the planet. Like, they're that's my favorite fish. I mean, nothing like release the grease, buddy. Like, I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but like, 
no, I mean, we're not. I, there's, there. I'm not up there, and I won't be up there. Like you can fish at Oneida even before you can keep them, but we won't. They won't issue tournaments unless they're paper tournaments, like catch, weigh, release, mm-hmm. take a photo. Um, and I don't fish those. Like those are usually dominated by locals on Oneida, and I'm not a local. And here's the thing too: is like a lot of the fisheries in the northeast uh there a lot of them have like creeks and rivers that flow in and out of them right Mm -hmm. so like oneida has a river that flows in on the east side and a river that flows out on the west side so there literally is a river that moves from east to west through the lake through all 22 miles of the system and uh, a majority of these paper tournaments are won in the rivers because around like late october all of the bait runs to the rivers for the winter. And uh, well, not all of it, but a majority of it. And then those smallmouth will follow. And then a lot of those smallmouth will stay where their food source is and spawn in the rivers. And like, I have no desire to fish in there because none of the summer tournaments will ever be won in there. So like, I just don't, I don't get involved in, in learning that because I'd rather spend my time either going south to the Carolinas or to Virginia to start my season. And then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I know New York when it's important to know it, if you're a competitive angler. So like, I don't know. I'm, and, and I spend a lot of the winter, like decompressing, like fishing for steelhead and stuff anyway, that I'm just mm-hmm. not, I, you know, I, I don't really get into that. Like, uh, I mean, I'm not like a homebody that just fishes this body of water and follows them in and out all year. Like, I move around a lot. So, I don't know. It, it's it, it's a tricky thing, but I, I know how to fish a tournament, start, you know, starting on opening day. And that's what's important if uh, if you're in the same mindset as me. I have a lot of friends that are already at Cayuga smashing the crap out of them. But, like... <laughs> yeah, Frankie just said Slay Nation had an event on Cayuga. And uh, in, in New York right. versus paper the PA club, yeah, yeah, it's what, a paper what, tournament. What what kind of bags? What kind of bags are you expecting when when you get up there to start fishing with those smallies? Oh, I mean, like so, opening day two years ago, COVID year, uh, it took like twenty eight and a half pounds of smallies on Cayuga, and it took almost thirty one pounds of smallies on the St. Lawrence. <laughs> Dang yum. Yeah. Dude. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. we talked about this when you were on Bass and Brews, the real podcast. Well, the fake the real podcast. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I told Andrew last night, Andrew invited me on because he had nobody to pick from. So he, he invited Drunkwood and me on last night for the series. I love John. Fantasy John's Fish the man. Yeah, he didn't yeah. wear a Speedo, did he? No, he actually had all clothes on, and he he wasn't he didn't even act the fool. I was I was a little disappointed, but you know Andrew had us two on for their fantasy fishing, and I was like, man, you must be hard pressed if you invited us two assholes on the podcast on the serious angler one. But but we had we you know we we had a we had a good time. We had a good time. Um, that's dude, that's huge fish. And what I was saying, we talked about this on the other podcast is used to 10, 15 years ago, maybe 20, I don't know. People, people thought bass fishing was in the South, right? 
And, and that's where the big bags came from. But you're talking about 30-pound bags of smallies coming out in these tournaments. Dude, that is that's, those, that's the six-pound average. I'm not good at math, but I know six times five equals 30. You're not going to see that. You're not going to see a lot of that down here. I mean, obviously, we had Lake Forest. I mean, you get Santee, and you get some of those. But, man, those – and from and, and from what I see, and the people that I know now, like that's you're catching that shit all day if you get into the right school. So here's the thing: uh, the the Great Lakes fisheries are changing. Zebra mussels got introduced like 12 years ago. Do- gobies like eight to 10 years ago, depending on who you ask. Um, yeah, they're changing the fishery, but here here's the slammer on all of that is like. There are days where those fish aren't accessible. And you and I talked about it, I think, on our, on the podcast we did together before. Like, there are days that you know, Mother Nature protects those fish. And, like, you know, I'll win a three- or four-day tournament up there some at some point in my lifetime because I'm really good at fishing when it's awful. Um, you know, I do have a hard time competing with those guys on flat, calm conditions um just because like the way i like to fish um kind of puts me in the numbers and like 22 23 pounds in the summer is a lot different than 25 26 in the summer um i mean there's a big distance between the those those three pounds and uh you know like because there's there's just so many days those fish aren't accessible I mean, you hear about the big sacks that we have because a lot of it is happening when the rest of the country sucks. But here's the thing is, like, we aren't fishing for these fish when you guys are catching your big bags in the winter. That's right. That's right. Like, like, I mean, ideally in my life, you know, five, ten years down the road, I'd want to be – on the Tennessee river in November through March 1st. And I'd want to be here or I, you know, like, and I'd want to be here in the summers, you know, like I'd, I'd want to split my time. I think most, most bass anglers would probably say that they, you know, you want to be in upstate New York when the fishing's good, but like, you don't want to freaking be here when the fishing sucks because the weather's horrendous, man. (laughs) I mean, that's just the way of the world. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, dude, I know I, we had Polinick on, on the BBD live stream last night. And I mean, he said he had 31 pounds in an hour yesterday on fork. So like there's other fisheries that are way better. Don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, like I, where we live, you know, I'm very lucky to have access to a lot of good stuff, but you know, if gas would go back down under $4 a gallon instead of being five, you know, anybody can access any of the bodies of water that they want. I mean, I'm not afraid to drive anywhere, man. <laughs> but it, and, and so you say that too, right? Like Fort's doing this thing. We talk about the seasonality of stuff. And that's what MLF and Bass have done, though, is they, the, their schedule is based off of the best times to co catch fish. And now, obviously, weather can fuck that stuff up. Um, but in general, 
that's what we see. They're they, they kind of they're chasing the spawn, right? I mean, they're they're pre-spawn spawn. They they they're in those for large well, even yeah, I guess now I mean, they're going to start their their northern tours now. They won't. They won't cat. They they won't hit really even like on anything in New York. Like this is the Me thing too. too is like yeah. we, so we just talked about how these first tournaments of the season are pretty hot. Well, things will will slightly decline a little bit for a little while and then once like while you have fish like that are coming out of the spawn they'll get funky for like a week and then when uh, the majority of the fish get into like through post-spawn and start transitioning into summer it'll start to heat up again and like it's kind of like what zona does on his show we end up moving around lakes or you'll move 50 to 100 miles north or south on these lakes to go chase different water conditions. It's like Champlain's 120 miles long. So what's happening at, you know, at Ticonderoga isn't what's happening um, in Missisquoi Bay on the Canadian border and up in Rouse's Point. And, um, you know, like when things are hot on the St. Lawrence River, when that dies off, we move out into the lake. And that, you know, like there's, you just end up chasing conditions and stuff. I mean, once you get kind of dialed into liking a certain stage, you tend to kind of stay on that stage instead of park, you know, in uh, in an area or a region for a few weeks and follow those fish in and out. Like you chase the fish that are doing what you like them to do. And, and that's that's kind of how a lot of us become successful is we start driving around, whether it's in the boat or in the truck, chase the stage of fish like mm. i i love i love catching you know smallies like on beds but really that's not the most successful way for me to catch smallies i also love i catch more and bigger ones um when they start moving post spawn and i can get them to chase so when i can they're, they're in those mega schools at that point too right depends on what body of water you're on but like you can you can pull up on some stop signs on some highways and you know you can go to work you know with a crankbait or go to work with top water in the morning and and you you can go to work on some of these spots and if you fish 25 spots in a day like you can catch 75 fish no problem damn um so like that's kind of what I like to do. That's when I tend to do the best is when I, I can catch post-spawn smallies that are on the move. Cause I, I want to fish fast. I want to catch them on a glass rod. I want to catch them on treble hooks. Like that's just my style. I'm never going to win a tournament with a flogger where, you know, like, but like <laughs> I see Garrett Paquette talking about how tomorrow's opening day on St. Clair and he's fired up to go use a flogger. Like I'm never going to win a tournament with a flogger. I like, catching them that way it's fun but like i uh searching for those bedded fish isn't necessarily like searching for and then targeting them is isn't my strength like i don't know i just haven't i don't put a lot of time into that because i don't think it's where i'm gonna where i'm gonna cash the best checks you know it's not really a lot of checks to be cashed Mm. for me so you you talked about 
uh, just a, you know, a couple of months ago, you talked about those bass being accessible. And I'm assuming that's weather-related pr- primarily with winds. Uh, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but but enlighten us. Like, dive into that. What what do you mean by those fish being accessible in that area? And does well, it I mean, like, like, and does it correlate to to lakes? Uh, you know, down south. How, what does that look like? Well, okay. So for us, no matter what Great Lake you live on, uh, you know the prevailing winds tend to be out of like the west southwest and mm-hmm. traveling you know in a northeasterly direction and like so those winds blowing across lake erie blowing across lake st Clair, blowing across lake ontario they protect those fish because you know, erie and, and ontario are 300 miles long and when you get waves that build for 300 miles, even if it's blowing over in Rochester, we're going to feel it up in, up in Henderson Harbor and, and Chameau Bay. And like all of the shows that everybody sees, like where Zona goes to, um, you know, uh, Lake Ontario, where you watch uh, Zaldane shot tiger tunas uh, a couple years ago. Him and Johnny made uh, a northern tiger tunas video. Um, I'm pretty, I'm 99.9% sure they launched out of Chameau and like, there are times you can't even get out of Chameau cause the, like eight footers will stack into the entrance to Chameau Bay. Damn. And like, I mean, you just can't, unless you have a 42 foot cruiser, you're not, you're not getting out of there. I mean, I've had buddies fish tournaments in the river and and go out into the lake and then drive a couple bays down and get into Chameau Bay. And then the wind kicked up and they couldn't get out. So like they had to like call somebody to like drive to the boat launch at Chameau Bay and come get them and like bring, get their keys, drive back to, you know, French Creek and Clayton and then drive back down with their trailer. And uh, you know, like the weather protects these fish out on these fisheries a lot of days of the year. Like we're not fishing for these fish 150 days a year. It's not happening. These fish, I will say this though, these fish in so are going to get pounded. Like the amount of people <laughs> that flock to Clayton, New York on June 15th is astronomical. Like trying to get an Airbnb or a hotel up there or in Watertown is, it's insane. I mean, literally like it's, it's bananas. Like Saturday is the 18th of June and it will be the craziest day of the year. And it it always is. I mean, it, it, it's complete and utter madness. I mean, you can look across seas of boats, like it's North Carolina's opening day uh, in a tournament or, like there's a high school tournament in Texas with 300 boats, like it's bananas. And, um, you know, like it's, it's just like our time of the year when it gets fun, but you know, it's, it's kind of just knowing your way around New York. So are people either going to catch smallies in a large mouth here or there, or can they target largies? And what, you know, if you, if you catch a bag, a large mouth, what, what, what what is that what is that going to be up in that area? Because y'all don't have small largemouth. I mean, you got some big largemouth. You got big water. 
What mm-hmm. is it going to be a mixed bag if people go for that type of bite? No. Are they going to do one? Can you do one or the other if you're in that time period? You're just going to do one or the other. But if you're trying to win a derby, like they'll have derbies on the 18th of June. Um, and people are just going to do they're based on the conditions that's going to dictate what people are going to fish for. Like, so it's different at Cayuga every year. Like some dudes will catch smallmouth some years, depending on the spring we have. And, and it'll be a large mouth tournament others. Like it's truly just dictated by the conditions. Like you're going to fish the fish that to win. And that's, it's never a mix unless I, I don't want to say it's never a mix never is but there are certain conditions on Cayuga where it could be um just because like there's that lake is it's very unique and and I'm sure it's the same on Champlain like there could be guys out of Plattsburgh that catch a mixed bag too if there's a if there's a Plattsburgh tournament on Champlain um just because those fisheries from one end on the south to the other end of the north the conditions like water temperatures and, and stuff, those circumstances differ greatly. Um, so, I mean, like huge local advantage to people that drive around and drop aqua views 10 and 20 feet down mm-hmm. to read water temperatures down deep and stuff like that. So like guys like me who drive two to four hours to go to these fisheries, mm-hmm. um, six to go to Champlain, like, you know, I'm never going to win a big opening day tournament there, but you know, it's, it's neat to go because you, the experience definitely teaches you a lot, a lot about just those cycles that these fish go through and, and all that information just helps you translate it into a summertime win, when you're ready to, to apply what you've learned. When, when is your fish in the open, when's the opens, when is your next, open tournament like what's what's the next big tournament that you're fishing july 7th is at oneida 7th 8th okay. and 9th so like those fish will be protected in practice by fourth of july party boats um <laughs> that place is nuts on the fourth of july like nuts it is going to be bananas it'll be really like the boat ramps will be packed um I mean, there will be drunk people everywhere on the lake. It'll be, it'll be ridiculous. I mean, the tournament will be really good um, for the people who are really familiar with how that tournament or how that body of water is affected by 225 boats and plus, you know, recreational boat traffic. But that tournament will be miserable again. And there will be people swearing off going to Oneida after we fished it in four and a half footers for two straight days last year. And <laughs> now it's going to be like the craziest, like the fit, the fishing will be way better. Mm. The weights uh, at the top will be way better. Um, but it will, it'll frustrate the living daylights out of the bottom half of the field again. So are, are you going to be fishing uh, swim baits, glide baits? Uh, you know, I, I, we know that's, that's your thing. Like, that's what you like yeah. to do. So is that going to fit in your wheelhouse with that? The fish will be more accessible to catch them the way that I like to catch them, for sure. Like, uh, I, as you 
forget. So where when we fished last year, it was the final weekend in July, whereas this year mm-hmm. it's the First. the like second. The, yeah, it's like you know the seventh instead of the twenty eighth. We were three weeks later last year. So like I coached camp last year for Kurt Dove. Uh, this the week that the open is this year. And like I, I've called uh, Oneida my home body of water for this will be the fifth year in a row now. Um, it uh, is deep. Like they're not in like they're not bumping out to like full time summer mode, and the grass isn't nearly as thick. And um, so yeah, they're more accessible to catch them the way that I like to. Um, you can kind of fish faster, and uh, the way that I like to fish at lake is I, I like to run like. 20 to 50 spots a day and i want to fish fast Oof. if i can um yeah it's only 22 miles long but there's there's a lot of hot spots and um it depends on the wind direction a lot too how many spots i'm going to run in a day like because the wind dictates a lot of your fishing there um wind direction because it moves bait and and those those fit smallmouth bass they they're like they they're like spots how spots follow the herring like smallies mm. will follow the perch a lot and a lot of these systems um and the gobies are changing that a little but it doesn't change the way that I, hasn't changed the way that i've fished the lake a whole lot um but yeah i mean I, it, it'll be fun it'll it'll set up more in my wheelhouse I, they'll be they'll be less caught on a spinning rod this year and more yeah. caught on thick line bigger baits, moving baits, that kind of stuff for sure. So I got, if, if any, who the, the five people who are listening, if you have questions, throw them out here. Joe, Joe, Joe is a wealth of knowledge in all of fishing. But when you get into the swim bait world, the, the, the guy knows what he's talking about. Now I want to ask you this. You've said it numerous times. You talk about fishing fast. Yeah. And fishing fast down in the south means we're throwing spinner baits, chatter baits, uh, yeah. you know, square bills. Uh, even even if you get you get deep, you're still you're still fishing fast with some deep crate baits, right? You think moving baits, mm-hmm. you think yeah. covering covering water. What what do you mean by fishing fast? And talking about these northeastern lakes. So for me. Um, it depends on the body of water, like fishing fast for me at Lake on, on Lake Ontario is finding a three quarter ounce or one ounce spinnerbait bite fishing fast for me on a night is usually six to eight XD cranking hard, like hard mm. and fast. Um, uh, same, same at Champlain. Um, that mag rebound with those you're using that mag rebound for those six and six xds right six yeah for the six and it's it's a toss-up for the eight for me like brandon's glide bait rod uh i'll Mm. throw is what i throw a 10 xd on um so i'm kind (laughs) of like i'm kind of in the middle um when it comes to the eight so uh i i've kind of like brandon has a uh prototype 8xd rod which is like it's like his glide bait rod um but like a power down Mm. so uh apparently uh uh, i had a few uh, i requested that i get a couple of them too because um (laughs) i I wanted them i mean i I have some other stuff like 
even though I, I helped design uh, or test some of the models that, that we use for Alpha Angler, like I do, uh, I do run a lot of other brands. Like I, I, I'll, I'll fish a rod for like a year and then sell it on Bass Boat Central a lot. Like I, I like to buy a lot of the cool stuff in the industry, try it for a mm -hmm. year and, and flip it just because knowing what Mega Bass and Dobbins and Phoenix rods and, and what a lot of other brands are doing, uh, Daiwa especially, um, you know, it, it, it kind of helps helps with some input to help alpha anglers mm -hmm. stay current too. Like I like to know what everybody else is trying to do. And, and because when you're really familiar with those lines, it, it, uh, you know, kind of what the majority of consumers are, are seeing because that, that affects how we build and market a rod for alpha angler too. Like we're a small brand, like it's basically a garage company that Jake started and, um, you know, you have to kind of consider what's everybody doing mainstream. And uh, if we try to do something outside the box, we have to make sure it's still something that the that consumers are going to be familiar with, because you don't want to build something as a direct to consumer company and have it flop because <laughs> yeah. that's a lot of liquidity wasted. So. Well and you know trying the different products that's the r&d side of it and that's how you dial it in because y'all 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 are a niche the alpha angler rods are, are, are a niche what you're doing you're you're targeting specific people so knowing how to build a rod for those people is it now we got a couple questions i want to get to real quick one is from Wait. anthony whitney our boy our boy anthony you know he's 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 one of the hooks at hillam guys uh working through some some cancer stuff right now so uh y'all go show him some love but anthony says what's your favorite swim bait under 50 dollars joe uh so like really if i'm gonna if i'm gonna spend under 50 bucks it's actually not gonna be like a hard bait it's not gonna be like a glide style bait um i'm gonna probably probably buy an eight inch mag draft or uh, maybe uh, I guess I'll say it. Uh, so more often than not, I'm going to throw a 5.8 inch Gancraft Bariki Shad. Um, and the Bariki Shad is a soft bait. It's 5.8 inches long and, and I'm going to rig it on that BKK Titan Diver Plus. And if you guys want to see that hook, uh, just go watch the episode Paul and I did last time. Um, <laughs> yeah. We talked about yeah, that. I mean, they, yeah. And, and like, it's basically, it's a full size swim bait hook comes with different size weights that you can interchange. You can put a blade on it or take it off. Um, and, and, and I'm going to fish a soft bait under 50 bucks for sure. And on the soft bait, you mentioned on the last time we recorded that, you know, you, a soft bait versus a hard bait, you're going to get less bites on that soft bait, but typically they're going to be, bigger so you yep. know if you are targeting a bigger fish that that soft bait lends to that now you 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 might get three bites or five bites right but you're typically yeah. gonna get that bigger bite on that soft bait as well yeah yeah and and, and i think that so Brandon always fishes the Arashi glide, right? That's also under 50 bucks. And one mm. of the reasons Brandon fishes it is because he's still going to get two 
and a half pound bites on that fish or yeah. on that bait. And he's still going to land a lot of fish and he's still, he's not, he's not taking any fish out of the equation. Um, right. I, uh, I, I definitely, especially as I get into the bigger and bigger soft baits, when we start getting into eight inches and 10 inches and, and, and big, big soft baits, you know, Huddleston, my favorites, the defiant 210 and 247, like, you're not going to get, I mean, so there's not, you don't have like all that noise and there's not split rings banging together. And like, you're not, there's, 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 there's all these negative cues in this thing, right? When you get a soft bait, there's not all these negative cues and, and these fish don't get distracted. They're going to stare at it harder. But when you, trick the big one when you trick a fish usually it's the big ones and when they commit they commit really hard and and landing percentages is super high because there's no treble hooks with a bit with a big soft bait usually like i change out the harness i don't use that mag draft silly harness um so a lot of your rigging options can be very customized to the fish and it, it tends to be that that bait that puts me over the top. I think a lot of tournament anglers are going to hard baits because you're still going to get a lot of bites on it. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm really if I'm fishing a big bait in a derby, I'm not interested in getting a lot of bites. That's right. Um, that's right. I'll throw a crank for me. I'm gonna throw a crankbait to get a lot of bites. Like that's it, that's how I'm gonna get get numbers in the Northeast. Um, yeah. And when I, I when I slow down and throw a big guy, that's when I'm gonna win. I'm going to make a note here because I want to come back to this because we got another question, but I want to come back to this because I listened to um, um, a podcast with Ben Milliken talking about catching big fish. And I think it was a straight, I think it was on one of the straight cast and he talked about, he talked about it. So I made a note. We'll come back to that. Uh, Anthony is also in Louisiana. So to put perspective on what he's asking, you know, he's in that Louisiana area where there's there's not a lot of deep water. You know, you're fishing mud, you're fishing bayous, uh, little creeks and stuff like that. Does that change any of those no. that recommendation for him? No, I mean, like I like that's what I like about soft baits too. Is a lot of people were introduced like in Texas. I don't uh, excuse me. He might not be in. Le- he might be anyway. He he ain't up north. He's same, in the same same answer. So, yeah, yeah. It's, right. So <laughs> out a lot of people, a lot of people think of soft of two soft baits. They think of the HUD, which you fish deep and slow, and you think of the mag draft, which mm. ride, rides high. Um, what I like about the Defiant and the Gancraft is uh, they're very versatile. They have different rigging options and uh, you can, with the Defiant, you can buy different sink rates and stuff. I mean, you, I can fish those in six inches of water to 26 feet of water. You know, both hmm. of those baits, I have no trouble moving that much in the water column with both of them. Um, hmm. So like just tackle advancements that we all see, um, you know, most of us as normal consumers the changes in crankbaits and spinnerbaits and but like me i live in the swimbait world um you know like i'm seeing all like i'm very familiar with all the changes we're seeing in that equipment and uh 
you know, there's, there's a lot of advancements that are allowing us to be very versatile. And, and if you're into that style of fishing, you can do whatever you want. I mean, so like if I went down there and I was used to fishing in six inches to six feet, I'd be throwing a 4.0 size square bill around. And then when I felt like I got on a really good bite, then I'd be going to my big baits and just keeping them riding high. I'd, I'd rig them and weight them and balance them to just ride higher. Whereas in our deep, clear fisheries, I'm throwing six XDs a lot or five, six, eight XDs. And then when I, when I'm in the zone and I want to try to get a big bite, then I'm throwing swim baits that I kind of have to let sink down and get down and I weight them heavy. So once I start Mm -hmm. grinding them in, then they're staying down. So it's, I mean, I'm just, I'm familiar with this style of fishing because it's where I live. But like, as soon as I go to Virginia, that all changes. Like the first open of the year, I didn't fish in more than three feet of water, you know? Yeah. And he's in Texas. So yeah, I messed that up. Texas, Louisiana, same, about damn near same place. So our next question comes from Mike's out fishing on the, yeah, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite smallmouth bait cut. Oh damn. Bait color postponed. So uh, this is going to be really funny. Um, if I can run a trout color all year, I'm going to run it. I mean, jerk baits. I mean, like, cause here's the thing is like living in the Northeast. We have a lot of alewives. We have some shad we have, but like, if you run a trout color, it looks like just about everything except a perch and a bluegill. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, most of my baits, dude, I'm running in a very boring, stinking color. Like, because this is the thing is it matches so many of our forages. Um, It's just what I do. So, what you're saying is color doesn't really matter. It's the depth and the speed. here's, Here's how I look at it. Some people might disagree, but um, like I they don't, don't want bass something because you're here. They're not. <laughs> I don't want something that is very specific, and this is why: is like we have a lot of forage species here, and fish can see, especially smallmouth, can see that our our baits from so far away that like if you have really really detailed baits, right? me those fish can pick up on cues of those color patterns and 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 details of those baits that they can say no to really easy and if you have like really boring ass colors i feel like those fish they don't have anything to turn them off to it because i i want them to focus on the action of these baits and i don't want them to get a good look at it and i'm not gonna spend like i okay so here's like not to go off on a tangent, but here's like one of my biggest pet peeves in the fishing industry is like companies that make, make a perch color, especially like a jerk bait. And they, they don't make it right for like the areas of the country that you're fishing a jerk bait. All right. So like mega bass makes like four stinking perch colors. And like, in my opinion, only one of them is even anywhere close to what (laughs) perch actually look like in our clear bodies of water. To me, you guys have ring perch down in the south, right? 
I, I don't know. Hell, I I don't know. We got white perch is okay. what we call them. They look like a white bass, except they're smaller, and they got razor blades for gills. All right. So, so here's the thing is our perch aren't very yellow. Like hmm. our perch up here, when when the water gets really clear, now they're different. They, they're different colors in the winter when there's ice over their heads. But in the summertime, clear water, you know, we have like the most minimal visibility is like eight feet. And that's like Oneida. Um, but like St. <laughs> Lawrence River, there are areas of the river and lake in certain conditions where you have 30 feet of visibility. All right. Hmm. It's like, so fish, in or, like if you have a bright yellow fish with really freaking orange uh um, ventral uh, things, it, things sticks out like a sore thumb and is like easy prey for any any predator species, right? Musky, northern pike, smallmouth bass. So like all these forage species that in the summertime under sunny conditions when we have, you know, eight, you know, like 14 hours of daylight or more, their, their colors start to become really muted, right? And that's what I want my baits to be really muted that kind of match these forage species. Cause even a perch mutes out now in the winter time where there's a lid of ice over their heads, these fish's colors will darken up perch get really black and yellow. And they look like your ring perch that, that like I was catching down on the James river with Oliver. So like, to me, that's why I, I get a lot of trout patterns um, because they're, they're soft. They're soft silver is a little tiny bit of pink in there, gives them a little bit of a like iridescent hue. And that's mostly what I'm fishing is, is that muted out stuff. I don't like a bluegill color. That's like a pumpkin seed. Like I want a brim color that's very muted out. Like I want all of my, my baits to be real boring. Um, or like, Oh, it just so happens. I have these sitting next to me. I'll either go really boring or like, or like, uh, hold on. Where, where's like a good bait to look at. If I don't go really boring, I'll go really crazy, stupid. Mm-hmm. Right? So, but never, Never like a really detailed forage species that they can get a good look at. Like I use a good color. Any of the like light trout patterns are good colors. Um, perch, if it's a really boring ass perch, those are those are where I kind of stick to. Um, I like to buy a lot of IU colors too if I want to fish a perch uh, dominated body of water. I'll buy like IU and I'll like stipple in the right colors. Um, like I'll just give it a little bit of stripes or, you know, maybe even make it look like crappie sometimes like, but it's gotta be boring ass. Like it can't, nothing specific. Awesome. I hope that answered their question. Now we, we, we got, we got a, a question. We're going to get that in a second. The question is, do you use fluorocarbon mostly up North, but what here, let's go here. Best fishing is in Washington state. I'm not, I mean, like for salmon or what the hell are you talking about? Cause, well, because we talk about where, bass fishing. Al- we? 
Alpha is located and like the Columbia River does rock and like Bass was supposed to go there a bunch of years ago. And I think uh, it would be great if the Bassmasters went back or the NPFL is supposed to have a, um, a Western swing, I believe next year they're scheduled to. Um, Like, I I mean, gas prices are going to have to go down or the NPFL anglers will never want to all 125 of them drive out there but no there's there's great fishing i mean and alpha anglers located in spokane the very southeast corner and yeah i mean i'm very familiar with the columbia river just from talking to jake and brandon and it's not a far drive for them so i'll, I'll give i'll give that guy a little little props for saying that i mean it's not the best but you know i'm glad he's happy at home hey it, the best is the best at what you have. And so yeah. if that's the best at what you got, then it's the best, you know, and can't well, nobody argue with that. And potholes is a pretty diverse fishery up there too. I've, I, you know, like, so I run social media for Alpha Angler too. And a lot of our guys in the summer posting, uh, you know, tournaments from, from the potholes, which is, I guess, pretty popular. I think it's like right in Jake's backyard too. So, um, yeah. Good, good for you guys. It's, it's a good fishery. Better than Oregon, you know. <laughs> Dude, I fought fire in Hales Canyon, Oregon, and there's a reason why that that some bitch has the name Hales in it. Is it bad? It, it, yeah. Oh, dude. It, it beautiful, beautiful country, but when you're fighting fire, scorched earth, yep. it's hot, it's smoky, it's dusty. Like that shit sucks. Next question. Ty Melt says, do you use fluorocarbon mostly up north? And Ty, if you're still on, maybe maybe you can elaborate on on some specifics, you know, swim baits. A lot, a lot of, what are you talking about? I but mean, go ahead from there. And this is me. This is not everyone. Um, and you'll hear Mark Zona give you a totally different answer. Um, his is the exact opposite of mine. Anytime I have a bait that's going to touch the bottom, even if it's a moving bait, if it's going to touch the bottom, I'm running braid to fluorocarbon always. Um, that's just me. I, I'm, I fish a lot of braid to fluorocarbon leaders, even on bait cast, bait, excuse me, bait casting rods. That's Whoa. just me. Crank, crank baits? Crank baits. I, when I fish for smallies, they don't touch the bottom. Okay. So, so you're, you don't you're, fish a crank. You, I don't fish a crankbait in the north for smallmouth like I fish a crankbait for largemouth or like most of the country. See, we've been trained as, as consumers and of, as students of bass fishing to think you need a crankbait to deflect off of something, right? Not fishing for smallmouth. All right. Like if I'm fishing in 18 feet of water for smallies, I'm throwing a crankbait that only gets 16 or 17 feet down. I don't want it to hit the bottom because when it does, it slows it down. And I don't want these fish to get a good look at it. I'm casting it as far as I possibly can. And I am burning the crap out of it. Every once in a while, I'll kind of kick the reel handle or pause it a little. And then I'm right back on a seven to one as fast as I can fish. So you're and, fishing uh, a seven, you're fishing a set. So you're targeting those suspending, are they suspending then I'm guessing? No, no, yeah. no. They're just, small mouth will eat up. Small mouth will eat okay. up. So they're going to come very get clear. Uh, yeah, they're going to chase it. They're going to chase that's it. That's different. Down. That's different. In the South, you won't, especially in the summertime, right? You want the same thing. You want speed. 
you want that crankbait down there, you know, and I use a, a, a five to one typically cranking, but you want to get that crankbait, but you want it to come down and dig and you're reeling it fast. You want it bouncing off of stuff. You want acting the full right. on the bottom, but you want it fast. Now, yeah. if, if they're, if, if you're catching them on that back hook or, you know, they're, they're hitting and missing or coming off, then, then maybe you slow it down and then maybe you throw a swing head or, you know, a Carolina rig or something. But, you know, for us down here, when we're cranking in the summertime, the dead of summer, we want that crankbait down on the bottom. You want it digging and bouncing and you want it cutting trenches in the water. That's a little bit different. Well, so, so, so here's the, here's the thing is where you guys live, the dead of summer, these fish aren't active, right? Like this is when your fish plop their fat bellies in the mud and they sit there summer for that's what our fish do all freaking winter and i know because i used to sit and stare at them on a flasher while sitting on a five gallon bucket on the ice um you can catch largemouth in the winter that have mud on their stomachs right Mm -hmm. that's for us when they have mud on their stomachs they're sitting there like slugs you guys when you when the water gets 88 to 90 degrees and stuff in the summer for you that's when your fish sit down there like fat slugs and they don't like to move around our water never gets above like 85 in the summer and hardly like there might be some like ponds but if if there's a fishery like trout would instantly like die in our fisheries Mm. if the water got that warm so for us i would imagine like we haven't fished the mountainous lakes of like North Georgia and, and Eastern North Carolina, but like, I'm sure those waters don't get super warm either. Like up in the mountains there, like mm-hmm. that's how it is here. And, and our fish are going to chase all summer long until like the middle of August. And then, then they start getting deeper and you, you sometimes have to slow down, but, I mean, really, our fish are willing to chase most of the summer because that's when their metabolism is right where a bass likes yeah. them. You know, it, it, and and even so, we hear this in the South with the hot water temperatures, and and you know, you're catching your bigger fish at that fifteen to twenty five foot area typically, and that's that's because that's what's typically accessible for a moving bait, a deep crank. These yeah. fish are, you know, sure they're sluggish and that, but throwing that crankbait down deep like that and working it fast, you're creating a reaction bite. And even though those fish might not be willing to chase, if you're in the area of those fish, they they it, it's a reaction bite. So it's something's mm-hmm. going by them fast, it's banging off the bottom, the rocks, you know. The summertime is not necessarily the time to slow down. I think a lot of people catch fish slowing down because that that bait that baits in the in the strike zone longer. But you could catch that same bait, that same fish on a crankbait bite if you're getting it down to the depth that that fish is at. Mm-hmm. But that's the biggest thing with a crankbait, especially when you're fishing deep. Man, you think about it. I fish out of a kayak. We we don't necessarily get the length on a on a, a dredger or something that's diving 
below 15 feet on a crankbait, we we might be missing that strike zone because of, of that distance. But then you throw a Carolina rig out there, you hit that strike zone because it, it comes down and it's in there. So it's, it's not necessarily – sometimes in the summertime, it's not about slowing down. It's about being in the strike zone. And back to Ty's original question, he was asking about using fluorocarbon, yeah. mostly up north, with swim baits. And we talked about this on the last podcast, but touch on it now because you do you fish your swim baits differently. So, yeah. Yeah. Things. So, yeah. so talk about that. That's interesting. So any of my soft baits that like would have a top hook, right? So let's see if I can put it on my neck where you guys see. If I was using a soft bait, like a Huddleston or a Defiant, I like the Defiant. Um, if I'm using a top hook style bait, uh, I actually run braid to fluoro. Anytime I'm using a hard bait, um, nine out of 10 times I'm fishing straight fluoro. I like 28.9 pound Defiant uh, soft cast. Um, Oliver is a little different than me. I mean, and everybody probably knows he's, you know, huge in the swim bait world. He does things a little different. He runs braid on nine out of 10 applications. There are some smaller glides that I, I will run braid, excuse me, braid to fluoro on. Um, I don't, it's more often I'm running big, heavy fluoro, like big, big stuff, like, or, or like, if I didn't have access, like if I was on a budget, I'd probably run 25 pound big game, like trialing big, big game. Um, but I mean, being that I work with Defiant and I have access to, um, you know, really good stuff for, for cheaper than your average consumer, you know, like I, I'm going to, I throw the defiant stuff. Like it's, it's the best stuff I've found if you're going to step it up from big game and try to go with fluorocarbon for big baits. That That's interesting because people, you can go buy a big game. You can buy 500 yard reels, a big game at Walmart for like nothing. I don't know how much it costs. You got you got to be careful though buying from Walmart. Like I would rather buy it from like Tackle Warehouse or something. And this is why is uh, so I know this because when I was a kid, we used to buy paintballs from Walmart, right? <laughs> and like some, yeah, right. So I, you know, I used to, I used to play paintballs are supposed to burst when they hit you, but the Walmart paintballs don't burst. They're full. They're it's, it's like buckshot coming at you. <laughs> is actually the, the it's actually the opposite so what we what used to happen and we used to play like games we're talking like 15 balls a second like like ripping right speedball you if you if see, walmart does a lot of its ordering twice a year okay mm. so what happens is <coughs> huge inventory sits in tractor trailers in mobile alabama on this like campus that Walmart has that stores all of these like tractor trailer containers. And when, when they run out of diesel summer in Mobile, Alabama, it gets like 140 degrees inside these containers. Right. So paintballs used to warp, right. Line will do the same. 
it'll it'll go bad under that extreme heat. So what I actually recommend to a lot of people is if you do buy line from Walmart, what you should do is open the package, tie an overhand knot in it, and see if you can break it. If you can break 20, 20 or 25-pound big game like that, do not don't buy at all from that Walmart <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Go to a different Walmart. That's why like or, I, I or don't... just or just order the shit online. Like prepare a little bit. Right now, Joe is telling y'all right now is giving great information. Start preparing for what you need this summer or next year by buying it online from somewhere. <laughs> Where the line is taken better care of. Like go, go to Omnia, go to, go anywhere that sells. I don't know. I haven't used Big Game in like three years, but go somewhere that yeah. sells. I I would assume TW has it. And Sirius Angler has the Omnia discount too. I'm not yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. not Siri. Hold on. My headphone might quit working. <laughs> it heard me say the not so. Look, mm-hmm. if y'all y'all have no idea how hard it is to be country with Siri. And I posted a reel on Instagram today for a little reaction video I did. And I put the the uh closed captions up there on purpose and it got about every other word wrong. <laughs> nice. But but yeah, yeah, it was a good time. Good time for sure. Um, so yeah, that, that's interesting. You know, I like how you gave the the budget side of it and being able to use mono when you're using, when you're using a mono, is it the same rod, you know, power or you have that stretch? So does, does that matter? Right. If you're going to fish swim baits, and you're going to pay $500 for a rod and you're like, well, shit, I got to skimp on the damn line for the next, for this year before I can get some good stuff. Uh, is that a big difference or is it just you learning, learning that specific rod lure line? So, I mean, switching from mono to fluoro, I, I don't really think you have to change much. Just, Definitely don't go lighter mono. Like if you go to fluoro, you can go to lighter fluoro than mm-hmm. what the mono was you're using um, to get a similar elasticity. Um, but I mean, I, honestly, it, if I think now with rod technology and line technology, what is opened up, which we didn't have just six or seven or eight years ago is now. So if you guys watch not so serious angler, um, Bailey and Andrew talk about the equation, right? And the equation is hooks, line, rod, reels. Well, since rod technology and line technology has improved so drastically, you now, now what it does is it opens up. So your equation doesn't have to be so specific in order for the actions of your baits and the hooking ability and landing percentage of your baits don't everything doesn't have to be so specific anymore as line technology and manufacture has improved and rod technology and manufacture has advanced 
you now have the ability to use similar size baits or, or way opposite size baits with a similar rod or similar line. You don't have to change things as drastically. It's not like the specificity of trying to get the equation dialed in is not as important as it used to be um, when we're talking about swim baits. So it, it has like, and I'll tell you right now, you do not have to spend $500 on a rod to throw uh, you know, a big bait. Like, I mean, this one's huge. This is like a, an 11 inch bait. Um, I think it weighs seven and a half ounces, but like hmm. a lot of good rod mate, like for somewhere, but depending on what your preferences are, I mean, you can spend two to $400 and get some of the best rods on the market. Um, now you have to shop for them. They're not always available. They're rarely available unless you know what you're looking for. Um, but like if, if you're trying to get into swim baits and stuff, there's a lot like, you know, message some people like me or big bass dreams or Oliver and, and we'll point you in the right direction. Like, like I can think of a couple of brands and I like, I don't want to plug like brands like overlay because some people get turned off, but like, Actually, I, I can think of a couple that are under $200 that you can buy. They're, the, they're out there. Um, so if you guys are interested in that equipment, you know, message Oliver, message me, message BBD. We'll, we'll help put you in the, you know, we'll help send you in the right direction for sure. I mean, we'll, we'll help you guys out. I mean, there, you have options that are not $400 anymore, $500. I mean, we'll, we'll help you guys out. I mean, they're... So... Oh, the, the swim bait stuff, right? So we're talking swim mm-hmm. baits. How does the forward-facing sonar play into this? I know it's you're using. Nice. I know you're using forward-facing, but mm-hmm. but take you know, take somebody that doesn't have it. They have side imaging, down imaging, two D. How how do they approach? an area let you know let's say they're they're an above average angler and so they have areas right they they know where these fish are but they can't they can't pinpoint them with the forward facing okay can they fish it it without it and and go into both so talk about it from the forward facing side but let's start off with it with without having it what does that look like all right so First and foremost, number one most important tool is right here. So Lake Master and Navionics charts, most important tool you you can own. I mean, and you can go, especially with, with Navionics charts, you can go to a lot of lakes all over the country. I don't know how many charts or how many lakes are charted on Navionics. It's a heck of a lot more than Lake Master. But uh, number number one tool. And you can go, you can have a John boat with, or fish from shore or a kayak or a canoe. And if you're on a, a body of water, you don't even need a depth finder. Like they're going to be pretty close and you can fish really, really good. with Just that stuff with a little bit of research and using your phone. You don't need all of the stuff that I have, but here's what it offers. So I run mega 360 and forward facing sonar. I'll tell you right now though. If I'm going down a bank, my eyes are trained, my Lake Master chart first, 
my my 360 second, my forward facing sonar third. Like my eyes are going through order of importance, right? But the whole time I'm making casts, I'm looking, I'm checking, I'm I'm following these things. Um and like my eyes have gotten really good that like I can read contour lines on my Mega 360. I don't have to look at the map as much um to see those contour lines on a map. Like I can see that I can see depth changes on Mega 360 because I'm used to the color changes and I've been staring at it for I had the original 360, I think, for two years, and this is my hmm. third year on Mega. So, I mean, I've been reading 360 for half a decade, and my, my eyes are really trained. Um, really, the like math in my head is just translating it back into a to, into a into a topographic map, anyway. Um, and, and that's what's helping me target these fish. Now, the huge advantage that you get with 360 is now you're seeing those structural and cover changes. So structural is the contour lines. Uh, Cover is trees, boulders, grass, like things that cover up fish um, so that you can more accurately target cover structure. And then forward-facing sonar allows me to see responses because I'm not targeting fish with forward-facing sonar. I'm targeting structure and cover with 360. Forward-facing sonar is giving me the feedback to help me understand how these fish are responding to my baits. And, like, people want to talk about, like, Patrick Walters winning at Lake Fork, right? When he was winning with that jerk bait, he had his face buried in his electronics. Well, like, most of the time... He's not actually watching his bait come back to the boat. What he's watching is he's watching those fish that he is targeting. He knows where his bait is. He knows how to point his forward-facing sonar at these fish to watch to see if fish are responding and there's any action where he knows his bait is. Because it's really, really hard to stay on a jerk bait that's going like this, you know, <laughs> and keep it in a cone angle, right? Point your cone angle in the general direction of a jerk bait or a swim bait. I mean, it's really easy with the A rig, and it's easy easy with a swim bait too. But you start getting down to like a jerk bait or like a little like four inch swim bait, and like it's hard to watch that thing swim all the way back to the boat. <laughs> so what you're looking for is you're looking for that blob to start following your bait in, and and you're you're looking for behavioral responses in fish and the more times you see a fish respond the better you get at reading their language and their behavior and and that helps you dial in that bite even better i'm uh, so i'm going to interrupt you right here because i i do not have it uh, i have not used it I, I listen to a lot of a lot of folks talk about it podcast and whatever youtube this, this, what you just said for the last, I don't know, minute and a half or so, there's five people listening. I hope they <laughs> recorded that shit. <laughs> and I hope somebody goes back and listens to this because yeah. that's, that's exactly the, the point about the forward facing. I think that the mo that, that people don't get yet, even though the pros talk about it. 
and and not just professional anglers on elites and MLF and that, but the 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 guys, the folks that catch fish off of it, they talk about it's about looking at the fish to see how they respond when you see them. And so they they're able to hey, these fish aren't ready yet. This is a waste of time. Yeah. I need to move on and, and go to another one. Or maybe I need to change my presentation. It's, yep. it's that fish behavior. And I'll say this. I hadn't referenced it a lot. And I can't remember who the hell it was. But somebody talked about it every time I, I, I mentioned spoon plugging and, and, and Buck Perry and spoon plugging, who's the father of offshore fishing. You know, he, he talks about fish behavior and fish movement. Forward-facing sonar has given us an insight into how fish behave that that we haven't had before. And so the folks that are able to really dial that in and to see how those fish are behaving, and, and I think Bailey's talked about it and, and quite a few other people have talked about it on their podcast. It's about, are these, you know, am I wasting my time here? That's That's the biggest thing. It's a way to to cut down on, on dead fishing time. Maybe I need to come back later and go to these fish, but that fish behavior, I mean, you took this last, that minute and a half, what you described is about as golden of shit we've ever had on Bass and Bruce podcast. Well, thanks Paul. Yeah. I appreciate (laughs) it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like a hundred percent, like a student of this game. I, I mean, I remember when forward facing sonar came out in what 2013. Um, I you saw on social media, right? Fred Rambanis and some of these other guys who had it right off the jump posting their jerk baits and stuff coming back. And and what it and it was cool to see that on social media, but it it gave the public who who hoped to one day acquire such technology for their fishing addictions. Um, It it gave us a a false perception that we're nine years later still (laughs) battling. Mm. And I I mean, here, here, and this is, this is a bit of a sidetrack Harvey rant, but uh, I feel it very important to, as much knowledge as possible with everybody like i'm not gonna hold anything back hardly ever i'm not wired to like you you get me chatting and i'm not gonna stop like it it happens look joe LaBarbera. if you're talking (laughs) about boobs or bassin he's gonna (laughs) talk i mean we've already cut this this is these are facts facts yeah yeah i mean there's there is video and audio evidence that if it ain't <laughs> boobs and or bass, I'm not yeah. interested. Quote yeah. unquote, Joe LaBarbera. Quote. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. probably my most favorite, my most favorite quote from from all of Bass and Brews is that shit right there. That I mean, I love it. That that it, it gets me all tingling inside. Makes me feel like I'm drunk wood making some kind of wood statue or something. I was on a rant that day, buddy. <laughs> like, <laughs> but but it's. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Nah, it's that's all good. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just can't hold back. Like, I and I, I feel 
it's my job to to be an ambassador and and part of that means you know like dislike if i feel like we've been given or like misled as a consumer which i i still am just because i have some some companies that that work very closely with me i'm still a consumer like i still spend more money on tackle each year than freaking a lot of people um like I'm still a consumer and, and I want to get the right information out there. Mm-hmm. It's my job to be an ambassador of the sport and I'm not going to let people think they're buying one thing or that a tool is meant to be used one way. If that's not what it's for. So I, I got to tell yeah. you guys. Yeah. And, 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 and you're good with that. Like you, you don't just fish the products that, that you sponsor or that you like. Yeah. I mean, you fish everything, yeah. you give the information out, you know, you've, you've been, um, you know, I can't say seriously because my Siri thinks I'm talking to her, but anyway, you know, <laughs> there you go. And you, you're very open with that. You do try a lot of stuff. And I think that, I don't think that does give a lot of credence to, to what you say because you're giving that information. Now this goes back into the point that, I made a note of earlier, I was listening to uh, Ben Milliken talk about fishing and I might, I might fuck this up because it's, it's been a couple weeks and I can't remember shit real good, but he talked about his, his, in, in the list, let's, let's preface this. He's targeting world-class fish, right? That's what he's targeting. He's, he's not out there trying to, when turn he's not tournament fishing this he's he's catching two or three fish a day that are over 10 pounds but he talked about using four facing sonar and how those fish react and that it's it's a it's usually a small swim bait which you've talked about before those those smaller ones or it's a jerk bait and then this is a straight straight cast podcast y'all go listen to it it's it's long but it's really good he, you know he's talking about his stuff they, they brought up, why wouldn't you use a plug, a crankbait? He said, well, they aren't going to buy the crankbait because these fish that he's targeting, that, that bait is not in front of them long enough. Yeah. So you know, coming coming off of the, the tournament side of it and, and into that swim bait and that jerk bait and the four-facing sonar, are you seeing that kind of stuff? Like, is that something that, that you're – how do you relate that? What are you seeing with that fish behavior? Well, okay. With, with so let me, let me, let me first say this. So Ben's a big Garmin guy for any of you guys that don't know, um, you know, forward facing sonar, like Ben uses like, and Ben doesn't use 360. So, I mean, Ben, Ben is very dialed in is to Garmin to his Garmin units. And, uh, the reason Ben knows what he knows is because he's observed it so many freaking times. Um, so like all he's doing. So here's the thing. Watching fish behave on forward facing sonar is, is like when, and learning and studying it is kind of like going through your teenage years, right? You learn. So like, <laughs> Let's let's be Joe, so, hold on, the, hold the on, middle school hold on. guy. All right, here but, we go though. Uh, hold on, hold on. Before you get what what Joe means when you're in your teenage years, 
as a guy is you're going to fuck up a lot. That's what he's saying. You're going to fuck up a lot, but you're going to have some really good learning experiences. So when you're 40 years old, you'll be like, you know what? I know what this means, right? I see something. I'm like, I know what this means. And it's not what I thought 20 years ago. I've seen (laughs) that look before, you know? So, and and that's what I'm saying. You get used, you get used to staring at these images, right? Just like I said before, I've been staring at 360 for so many years. Like now I know what certain shadows and stuff look like. You start getting used to the same thing. When you've had enough fish come out and look at your baits, right? You're, you're, you're sight fishing with your electronics in, in real time. And you start noticing how they close distances, how they respond to certain cadences, whether it's cadences with the big bait or cadences cranking down. And it's, it's like a middle schooler who starts to learn girls' body language for the first time and their, their like, <laughs> hair flip and their, their looks. And, like, you'll have that learning curve just like a prepubescent Joe LaBarbera had a learning curve, you know? And, <laughs> and then you'll, you'll begin to become a, a seasoned, weathered individual um, who, who is progressing through college and through his 20s and into his 30s to where you're like, oh, yeah, I've seen that shoulder shrug before. Like, I've seen those (laughs) eyes. Like, I know what's up, right? So you'll get used to that with time using these, and you'll you'll know how to respond. Um, Well, that was a fun freaking analogy to go into. Oh, my God. Look, look, that was a great exact – I was about to say the same exact thing. And, and yes, it was great. But it's all about – being relatable like how do you how do you how do you take fishing and real life experiences and put them together because you think about fishing there's a lot of factors in fishing that that come together with catching fish and and good anglers can catch fish because they can they can make that analogy Mm -hmm. great anglers find Find those little those little signs, those little winks, those little shoulder shrugs. They find those throughout a fishing tournament, and then they dial it in. I mean, that's the difference in a good angler and a professional. And that difference is 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 miles apart. Yeah, like yeah. being able I to mean, understand those small little those small little signs. Oh shit! They just bit this crankbait. He the, this fish bit this crankbait this way. You know, it got the it got the back hook. A damn professional angler is like shit. I need to put the crankbait down and throw a drop shot or something like that. You know, it's there's intricacies and those little minute details is is well, what changes. And the, and this is the thing too is the difference. We talk about it a lot. Like me and me and my buddies that you know on big bass streams and the other guys that I know that travel and fishy opens together. Generally, the difference between the guys who finish in the top 10 in the opens and the guys that finish in the bottom 225 or 215, whatever's left, um, the difference usually is the ability to not only read these extremely minute differences, but react to them immediately like it's second nature. Mm. Um, Because... 
the difference between hero and zero at that at this level is i mean it's so paper thin but uh if you've hesitated you're dead like you're behind you're you're not getting to the next level um and that's the difference between guys that fish the elite series and guys that kick ass at home um is elite series guys wrecking no matter where in the in the on in north america they are they recognize a, a certain set of circumstances and respond immediately Polinick talks about following his limbic brain like having a, a a thought and immediately like second nature response upon that thought and and he's trained himself over the years to understand what appropriate responses are and what appropriate responses are aren't and he's just he's literally going through the motions at the highest possible level and that that's that's what's happening because the differences are this much and they're they're split second differences and split second decisions that need to be made and that's really what what the difference between guys who do who do this for a living um and just like guys like me who aspire to do it 365 days, you know, like, I mean, Brandon is, is, is making decisions in real time that are so freaking dialed. It's unbelievable. And, and every day that he continues to get on the water, he separates himself farther and farther from average Joe's no pun intended. Um, so it, it, like all of us are going to be playing catch up. I mean, forever. And, and all right, we're, th- this is a good transition <laughs> because we we go from from a lure, a technique, and we're going to take it now into that that mindset, that mentality, and of what you just talked about. They see things that that we don't see. And a correlation that you hear a lot is, is, oh, man, this guy right here, this local angler, this guy on my lake that fishes these, this one lake or these two or three lakes, man, if he, if he just had the time and the money, he can compete with everybody because he fishes a good lake. He fishes, he's, he's, a, he's the master at that local lake. What, they, look, these guys aren't a master at like they're going to a bunch of different lakes and and you think about the professional level and you think they've been to Lake Fork for the elites four times in the last I don't know how many every years four or five years whatever it's been dude you, like people don't understand that they these folks when they come to your lake they are the best angler on your fucking lake I don't know, 80% of the time. Sure. Could a local angler beat them? Sure. But could they the could could they beat them on Saturday and then load their boat up and go to a unknown lake and give them one day of practice? Who's gonna win? I would say majority of the time it's gonna be the professional angler because they can break down lakes, they see stuff other people don't see. And we can we take this back to the, the the professional sports. 
right? Football, basketball, baseball. Those people that play those sports, you take the greatest player on a college football team and mm-hmm. you put him in the NFL, he's going to last three years because there's a whole different mentality into how they, they how they come in and play that sport. It's the same thing with bass fishing. I would say it's even more bass fishing because you don't have an athletic edge in bass fishing. I mean, there's there's just so much that comes into how you prepare and how you are mentally. And like you, how you talk about Paula, he can see shit and he can throw it out. Oh man, do I make this cast? Do I make this la- do, do I make one more cast or do I pull my shit up and go somewhere else? That's the difference in in you know, in five pounds sometimes. Okay, so I'll say this. The reason that I agree with what you just said is because 99% of the time, a lot of tournaments that aren't one-day shootouts, you know, once you get past the BFL level, um, these tournaments aren't won on a spot, right? How many tournaments have we, have you guys ever heard of? Somebody won it spot right you go back and watch all FLW Bass Top 150 Bass Top 100 Bass Master Elite Series you start watching a lot of these tournaments these multi-day events these guys aren't winning it off of a spot they're winning off of decisions so to compete at the highest level you have to be good at it's why I don't and this, this rewinds us an hour and 28 minutes to the first thing we talked about today is <laughs> I don't fish certain places and certain times of the year that aren't going to benefit me, right? Like river fishing, smallmouth isn't ever going to be, isn't going to have to be something I need to be trained in, right? This isn't affecting my, this is what I do for fun and to get content for my sponsors, like going to catch betting smallies it is literally what I take my friends out to do because it's a time of the year I'm not as busy. Um, it's like what I take chicks out to do that I want to impress. Like it's okay. it's something we just go do because catching is plentiful, but it doesn't. Other than that, like in terms of training, like I'm in I'm freaking working man like i am training to try to compete at the highest level like because I just your go out goal, and do it to blow off steam my goal is goal to fish in the elite when the yeah i want to fish i want to mm-hmm. i want to be angler of the year in in the qualifying events and i i want to go on to fish the elite series like so like that that's just what i do for fun like I'm not interested in cashing 2,500 bucks at home because I beat 40 other boats on a home body of water on opening day. Like I'm never going to fish a tournament like that, that, that I have the opportunity to win six figures. So like, what the hell's the point that that's just for me. Like for me, there is no point. Um, you fish, so like, you fish to, you, you fish to win. Right. But, but what you want to win isn't the same as let's say me, I fish to win. I fish local kayak tournaments. 
because that's that's what I fish, and I fish to win those. My goal is to win that local kayak tournament. Yours is to fish to win to be a professional at that highest level. And so that's a whole different mindset because I'm fishing local lakes. I'm not traveling all over the country. But you, on the other hand, have to prepare your mind and body to fish a lake that maybe you've never been to or fish a lake that you've been to once. Yeah. And, and like when I, when I go practice somewhere that I've been to one or two or three times, like, you know, like it might be 20 miles before I get to the next spot. That's like Mm -hmm. the one I was just at. And like, when I zoom in and out of my maps, like I'm looking for specific stuff and stuff that rings off of my past experience, whether it be on that body of water or a different body of water, but like, all of the, the information that I'm gaining is very cumulative and, and will apply itself. It will, I will apply it at some point. And, you know, like, don't get me wrong. I have tons and tons of respect for the best angler on Lake Havasu mm-hmm. and the best angler on, you know, at, you know, like whatever body of water is your local body of water, Lake Fork. Okeechobee, you know, like I have tons of respect for these local hammers. It's just not my path. Like I don't ever want to be the king of Cayuga, the king of Oneida. I don't have any desire to be it. What I want to be is I want to be a, a touring professional. Um, Cause I, I want to, I believe that if I can live to age 60 and living the lifestyle I'm living right now, I'll be pushing it. <laughs> like, Probably probably do for a stroke soon, but uh, <laughs> hey man, this bass and bruise you you can smoke a cig or you can be like yeah, like right? OG scoop you can be like OG scuba Steve and eat popcorn and potato chips on a podcast like an unprofessional asshole. I love that tall lanky bastard, by the way. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so but yeah, you, I, I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm not trying. I want to learn as much as I can, and to me, that's what makes bass fishing so exciting. Some people might say what makes bass fishing so exciting to them is they think sometimes the fish should be in one place on their home body of water, maybe one of two bodies of water they ever fish. And when they think they know they're there, all of a sudden that's the day they're not. That might be what (laughs) turns somebody else on. What turns me on is running my bass boat 73 miles an hour all over a lake, (laughs) trying to figure out this huge body of water that I barely know anything about. And trying to draw from all of my past experiences to try to figure out that body of water on that day. And we just have different goals and that is what it is. So if you need to go take a break, go take it real quick. I got a couple things I'll plug. You good? Whatever. Cause I got mm-hmm. another question for you. All right. So, yeah. all right. Well, if you're good, if you're good, my next question is this. You, we've talked about the mindset of it. We've talked about the swim baits that's what you're good at. That's what you like to do. How does diversity play into the professional angling? Like, you know, you want to throw swim baits, but can you tie on a Carolina rig? Can you go drop shot? How, how, and I say this because you're doing that. You know, tons of guys in the professional level, folks making a living off of this, fishing at the highest level. How does how does being able to to come out of what you like to do and want to do 
into doing something that's going to catch you fish. Are you good at that? Like, how does that play into, into being that professional? So I, I started fishing at a really, really, really young age. Um, and I grew up on the Susquehanna river, which is like small I mean, heaven. Yeah. It's small mouth heaven. Um, but the other thing too, is like, I also grew up with, uh, a father that loved to go troll for trout and salmon a lot. So like I grew up fishing very diverse amount of species, diverse fishing and diverse fisheries. Um, Northeast offers that. We have pros like Paul Mueller, uh, Hunter Shryock, um, Destin DeMarion, Garrett Paquette is from Michigan, but I include Michigan and Northern Anglers. Um, you know, Kevin Van Dam's from Kalamazoo, Michigan. There's a lot of good, good, solid anglers that come out of the Northeast, and that's because our bodies of water are so diverse. So it gives me the opportunity. We only get to, to really have great fishing conditions for six months out of the year. It gives you the opportunity to fish in a lot of different ways. I mean, I have no trouble moving from 30 feet of visibility to 30 centimeters of visibility. Like I've I've (laughs) fished a lot of different conditions. And I mean, like when we, when we went down to the James to fish the first open of the year, um, you know, I only got to practice for about 14 hours before I fished a tournament. That was an $1,800 entry fee. Yeah. Um, and, And I finished like, low 90s mid 90s out of 225 guys doing something that you don't do in clear water conditions like i was flipping uh a quarter ounce like beaver style bait on a 611 medium heavy braid to fluorocarbon leader i was using 40 pound braid to 28.9 pound defiant leader and and i was throwing a spinner bug like so, I mean, those are the two things I did the whole time. And like, I, I mean, I, dude, I didn't flip until I was like 24 years old. Like <laughs> everywhere we went, we chase water that you could chase is like a double willow leaf blade spinner bait bite or a jerk bait bite or cranking. Like it wasn't until like I really got older. Did I really start like flipping? Um, you know, like, and I used to like swim a worm a lot on a Charlie Brewer slider head when I was like, you know, 10 and 12 years old. Like, I don't know the way, like I have ADHD to the max. Right. And it's really easy for me to connect all of the things that I have done to like the next technique. And like, I don't really think I have a lot of weaknesses in fishing, because I don't really have a go-to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't really feel like there's anything that I haven't done because I don't know, like I see similarities in the steelhead fishing that I do to like fishing certain techniques in rivers for smallies. And, and I see like 
connections between doing this for largemouth and clear water and this for largemouth and turkey. I don't know. I just like, I feel like Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind sometimes. <laughs> like, I just like, I don't know. I don't feel like there's a lot of things that I haven't done. Um, there's a few techniques I like, but like, if you ask me again in two years, if that's my favorite, I'm going to probably say something totally different. I go through these cycles where I'm really just on whatever, like on at that time, it's all a learning process. And I mean, and I think that's how some of the best anglers in, in the world are right now. Like Justin Lucas, Jacob Wheeler, Brandon Polinek, um, and Chris Aldane. And I don't believe these guys are truly specialists of anything. Um, and that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the angler that I am as well. Um, you don't see the jig fisherman, the crankbait guy. Um, you don't see those specialists really like killing it anymore, you know? Yeah, and, and I would I would say that, and I can't remember what it was. I was listening to a podcast last week or week before, and they talk about how there really aren't specialists in these professional levels anymore. Like the guys know how to fish. They know how to fish a presentation and a lure to catch the fish that they're fishing for. And so, you know, I I think the diversity side of it is a big thing that comes into your local anglers where, you know, you got to be diversified. You got to know how to throw well, well, look. You're not if if you're not doing that shit day in and day out, you're you're going to be good at one or two things, <laughs> and and you know it's just it's there. It to me, it, it, there's one simple thing it comes down to 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 ninety nine percent anglers, and this is selling lures. <laughs> so when it comes yep. down to it, people can be diversified, but but they're you know. I don't know that that's a whole di- it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's I mean, hard I, to I could go down. Yeah. I, no, I, I could go down that rabbit hole with you. Yeah. What happens yeah. if I start going down the sales rabbit holes, I start talking shit and like, <laughs> well, that's yeah. something I'd rather do yeah. with a circle of buddies than on a, on a show. You know what I mean? Well, well, like, hey, because well, it's not shit talking, it, it'll right. come off. I should say this. It'll come off as shit talking. And it's not like, I have to sell stuff too. I just do it in a different way. Um, you know, but it, it'll come off as it'll sound like I'm talking shit and I'm not. And that's just because I have a different understanding of the industry yeah. as some other people. And like, I don't know. I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole. I do like this question <laughs> well, that's up there though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, we'll get the question, but I'm going to say this, this is bass and brews and bass and brews is built upon us sitting around a campfire, drinking our favorite beverage, alcoholic or not, talking shit and talking fishing. But yeah, that, I'm not that, really. I'm not. I'm but, not a shit talker on purpose. No, no, no. But it's not. It's not shit talking though. But the 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 tackle industry is based off of selling tackle. That's that's the whole thing for it. Like you know, I mean, somebody wins a tournament on this lure, and everybody goes and buys it, regardless if that lure is even remotely close to something that they should fish in their body of water or that they didn't even know how to fish. 
But you're right. That's a different one. We will do another impromptu Bass and Brews with Joe where we dive into the sales of lures because I'm not a gearhead. I'm not a color guy. Like, I, like you know, 99% of the time, 99, not all of it, but 99, you could throw – you could throw you could throw a fucking hook with a piece of bubble gum on it and catch the same damn fish. That we could go there. But yes, let's get to this question from Mike's out fishing. Take it away, Joe. All right. So Mike says structures, points, docks, and so on are found on any lake. Well, what would you say are factors when fishing a new lake that make it different? Um, so what I really look for is water clarity and forage. I mean, other than different times of the year, water clarity, forage, max depth and average depth. And, and, and I'll tie max depth and average depth in with forage because it's really relevant to where I live. So Cayuga, or I mean, Oneida's max depth is 44 feet, 22 mile long lake, max depth, 44 feet. It averages like 22. 22, 24. And its forage is mainly perch for now. It's a lot of crawdads. There's getting more gobies in it. But like water clarity, when I am there and forage, matter exactly how I'm going to start fishing, right? Because if fish are chasing perch and water clarity is bad, I can fish fast. Perch tend to be a nomadic bait species like a herring. And like a spotted bass, smallmouth bass will follow them wherever in the lake they are. Those things matter to me. So clarity depends on how I, what baits I get to use and the forage species and where that forage species, species is probably matter with your max and average depth of that body of water. So like, I mean, again, the Google machine is my favorite, you know, application when I look at a new body of water, um, you know, uh, those things are huge to me. Uh, proper research. I'll tell you right now. So before I went to the James this year, it was April 14th, I think was the first day of the tournament. I've been watching the weather for weeks and weeks, and I've only been to the James twice before this. And I knew about a month before I, I, Oliver and I scheduled a thing, uh, like an expo the weekend before I knew I wasn't going to get there until like Monday night at midnight, Tuesday morning at midnight. So I knew I was only going to get to practice like 10 or 12 hours on Tuesday. And then, uh, if three, about three on Wednesday, cause we have to be off the water pretty early. Um, so you know, I, 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 I'd been watching the weather all winter. I kind of, kind of knew from the previous year when we were there three weeks later, what to look out for, um, what, what kind of spring we were having, it all mattered. And like a lot of it just is, is me kind of drawing from past experience. And, and I have very limited past experience on that place, but, you know, I just kind of like generally know what I, what I'm going to look for. And I don't necessarily try to win every tournament either. Like that one, I'd been buying baits and I'd been, Joe, you know, no, we like don't, prepping. Hold, 
time out, time out. I'm going to interrupt you. No, we only fish tournaments. We go into a tournament to fish it to fucking win. And if we're well, in the money or where, where we want to place, then that's, that's here's the good. Thing. Here's the we thing. fish to win, Joe. At Bass and Bruce, we fish to fucking win. Well, okay. So, like, my winning, though, <laughs> is finishing in the top 20 out of all three. And part of winning for me is don't lose it before you get to all three events. Um, So like, (laughs) yes, I understand it, but what winning is to you though. And that's what, that's, what's important to understand is like winning to me in this first one is not losing. And, and cause I need to finish in the top 20 overall for the year. Right. I can't lose it at the first one and be screwed. Like I, like my co-host on big bass dreams finished 176. <laughs> he can't finish in the top 20. Now he can win the next two. He and he's fucked. out. Yeah. So, yeah. so in, in country language, he fucked. Yeah. And, and like, I believe I, I, Oneida is the second one. I've been calling it home. This is the fifth season now. Um, like, you know, I'll have like three weeks of practice there. Um, you know, like I won't go out on the most miserable days. Cause what's the point? Like I'll go out to eat, like I'll catch up on content, <laughs> like, like editing yeah. videos and stuff. Like, you know, like I'll be comfortable. I'll be prepared for that event. The Chesapeake Bay is the third one. And depending on how I do it, Oneida will depend on how I plan for that event. Like, so winning to me is finishing in the top 20 overall for a season. It, like I did win for what I was trying to do at the James. And, and my only goal was don't lose, like don't lose. Uh, because I have a plan through the course of the following years. And, see, and the reason I have to be in the top 20 is because I need priority registration for next year mm-hmm. so that if they don't change the qualifying standards, which I heard yesterday, they may. Um, that way, being in the top 20, I get to register a week before everybody else. That way, I know I can fish all nine to try to qualify next year. So, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, that's the in, in so I'm not that's trying the, to win. Yeah. But I'm not trying to win the Derby. Yeah. The mentality, though, is the way that I look at it is that if my mentality is I'm going to go win, then if I finish second, even though I didn't win, I did okay. Are you like, okay uh, finishing dead fucking last, though? But, but you know what? For me, yes. Against who? Okay. But that's that's to me, me in that specific tournament. I'm not okay with it because not only did I not only did I lose, also lost the entire season. My my whole season is over. Okay, okay. So let's let's take let's take one guy. You know, like I just lost an entire year. I I, two hundred twenty fifth. You didn't lose that time in a year. You lost the money in a year, and that's huge, right? No, I lost 365 days also. <laughs> I get like, you. I can't because I don't move forward. If I don't okay. finish in the top 20, I don't get into all nine next year. And if I don't get into all nine, that because the Southern sold out in 66 seconds this year. Then you so lose that opportunity. So I just lost 365 days 
on that choice. So like I went out, I made a plan to go out there and take care of business so that I can win the next one because there's no point in fishing the next two or even competing for the next 365 days finish outside the top 100 in the first one. And, and, and it, this all this all relates back to the mentality and the strategy of fishing because uh, fishing real is different so, goals. yeah well well it's so it's so we have there's so many factors in the fishing the weather is is this on Friday on day one the weather's uh, this on day two the weather's this and and in day day three and four, Saturday, Sunday, on the July Fourth weekend, and there's eighty five thousand drunk people on boats out there fucking shit up. Let's get to this question right here. Anthony yeah, says, like "Talk to me on clarity. How do you approach bait size, color, presentation, in accordance with the clarity of water?" And we we talked about this because I asked you this question specifically for, um like glide baits and the big swim baits. But let's let's take this question in general, unless, Anthony, you can, if you have a specific technique or lure on this, but until he does, t- take this away here, Joe. All right. So, I, I mean, if you're watching the weather leading up to, leading up to a tournament, or even leading up to you arriving at a new destination to fish. You you pretty much know if it's blowing 20 for a week, when you get there and it's muddy, it's muddier than it usually is. Right. Muddier than it usually is usually means I'm going to fish bigger baits that give off more cues, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to try to draw those fish to my baits a little bit more. But, I mean, if I go to Oneida in the middle of the summer and I look down and I can see 12, the bottom in 12 feet, no problem, I'm probably moving out to where I can't see the bottom anymore because those fish aren't going to put themselves in a position where some type of prey item has a fair, has fair go at them, right? Mm. I mean, I want to be mm. somewhere usually – where I can't see the bottom unless I'm fishing a specific cover like docks or anything. And I don't fish docks. Uh, like I'm fishing is, I don't like to be able to see shore if possible. Like that's where that's for me. But, uh, you know, like I, I just, I don't want, I don't want to see the bottom because the fish can't really hide as good. So but if I can't, if I can't see the bottom, Barely see into the water. I mean, it just means bigger baits that give off more, more positive cues or, you know, like more, more cues. So like, I don't know, like the biggest thing I can tell you guys, like, I don't overthink anything. Like if it's friggin' dirty, I'm going to probably throw a chatterbait, spinnerbait or a crankbait. (laughs) Right. I'm going to start, I'm going to start where you guys start and I'm just going to kind of evaluate as I go. I think the biggest difference between me and you guys is like if something's not working, I have a lot of experience to say I'm going to lean on this ex- past experience to make a change, you know. And I probably make a change a lot quicker than a lot of people. So and you it's just quit based fast. on hours efficient. It, you quit it's, fast. I'm a change fast. Change fast for sure. 
with semantics. Semantics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, Change that. Yeah, and, and and so I guess that goes back to what we were talking about with those those guys that are the top of the game is mm-hmm. they're like this shit ain't working. I gotta go yeah. do this. Or I gotta go to this other area because shit ain't mm-hmm. working. Yeah. Yeah, I mean like I I mean here's the thing is like I know I'm never gonna go to Virginia and catch them in more than twelve feet of water. When I'm at the James River, which is a tidal fishery, we're talking on the clearest day, you still can't see two feet. Mm-hmm. I've never seen two feet of visibility <laughs> there, not even at the dam, like, which should be the cleanest. And so that being said, like, I know I can never see two feet. I could throw the biggest crankbait on the planet, like a 4.0 square bill, 8.0 square bill even. Those fish aren't going to even know what's there in more than 12 feet of water, you know? So, like, you can't catch fish that don't know your baits are there. So, like, I'm going to start to target areas that are, I believe I have the highest percentage chance catch them based on some past experience. So, yeah, I mean, water clarity dictates a good bit for me in terms of starting point and, and what my first what my first curveball is going to be when I change it up, you know? Does water clarity is going to dictate where you start shallow versus deep? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like in the summertime, your standard summertime fishing, for sure. All right, so Mike goes, so visibility is low, do they come into the shallows? More, yeah. I mean, like, so relatively shallow is can be a lot shallower mm. in a, a low vis lake than relatively shallow might be in a high visibility situation, like, like Champlain, for instance, Cayuga, for instance. If if you're fishing. Not a lot of vegetation, not a lot of cover like docks. Relatively shallow is going to be shallower in dirty water, whereas it might be 10, 12 feet in New York might be relatively shallow for, for summer fishing. Mm. Like when smallies get shallow on the Thousand Islands, like, like six, eight feet can be shallow for a lot of a lot of like Lake Ontario Thousand Islands scenarios like that's shallow because i mean normally you got 30 feet of viz so like you know visibility is a big deal like water clarity is a big deal it, it's it's what what makes things relative in a lot of situations and so i'm going to take things a little bit off on a sidetrack here because I want to be greedy a little bit since I got you here. And we, we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to get it, but the, the, the mag rebound, do you need a Red Bull mm-hmm. refill? Nah, nah, come on. Okay. It's 1130 here. <laughs> oh, oh man. That's like 830 in regular time. I mean, I'm good with that. Yeah. Right. But, <laughs> So I want to go to the 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 Alf 
alpha angler rods, the mag rebound and the rebound for, for crankbait fishing because I love that that's what I like to do. I'm going to get me a mag rebound. And we did talk about this, but like explain for, for folks that are looking to get into crank in deep cranking, deep cranking is something that I think a lot of people um, aren't, they, they won't commit to because of the size of the lures, because of positioning, because of everything that goes into it. But like, how do the, these rods, like when you're going into deep cranking, and I say in my my definition of deep is ten and deeper, right? You're you're throwing something with a big bill. Uh, you're gonna need to have give. You're gonna need to have good positioning. You're throwing at a target. It needs to be precise. You need to know how far I got to cast to get that crankbait down to where I think the fish are in that strike zone mm-hmm. to bring it back. So, like I I want to know why these alpha angler rods you know, that we've talked about a lot off air texting, like how do they, how do they help you with that? What is, what is the settling point or what is the thing about those rods that, that make, make them what they are? Well, I mean, so in terms of like, we do something really special when it comes to the, the rods that we use. Um, But let's, let's, Let's not start there. Let's start with like the king of cranking, right? So if if we go back uh, all Elias and the Neil and Reel, or or we go back to it's not Larry Nixon, uh, who 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 works for Berkeley now, that David Fritz, right? So we go back to Fritz time. Fiberglass rods. Mid, mid, mid to late nineties. Yeah, so fiberglass rods mm. were really designed so that when a fish comes in, eats a treble hooked style hard bait, that rod bows to the fish, right? Or if you're fishing a, a treble hooked hard bait and it, it kicks off of a stump, you want that rod to give to allow that crankbait to even like hold up for a split sec and it'll allow it to deflect around because the rod kind of like starts to give when that bait runs into it and then it can pop off instead of driving and there be no stretch in your equation that we talked about earlier and, and drive the hooks into it right it allows it to hit kind of absorb as your rod absorbs some of the shock and then it'll shoot off of there, right? Fiberglass rods were designed for bait presentation and to allow to give you a better hookup ratio with the fish and a higher landing percentage. So what we did, Brandon was around. I wasn't around when a lot of this happened, but a lot of our rod blanks for Alf Angler are designed by the son of Gary Loomis, Brad designs a lot of our blanks and Mm. and brad found um a structural grade fiberglass material that's like 30 or 40 percent of the weight of your standard fiberglass material and it also has a lot higher tensile strength like the thing that most people hate about a fiberglass rod is when you go to cast it 
it doesn't even want to like return to straight fast enough. Like it's like coming around when you go to like whip it. So a lot of people like a graphite rod because it casts more accurately because you load it up and then it will return to straight Mm. really quickly. Well, structural grade S2 glass returns to straight and returns to its original properties very, very quickly. But it still has the elasticity that most fiberglass, whether it's E-glass, like every other company on the planet uses, or whether it's S-glass, it still will give under a load. S-glass just straightens much faster when load is taken off of it. Um, that it's a lot lighter, too. It also makes it a lot more sensitive. So all of these things combine to to produce a a rod that does its job for this specific application that we're discussing better than any other rod previously. And it's it's just strictly based on the components that we build these rods with. And um, Brad doesn't make these blanks for any of the other companies that he he builds blanks for. so, you know, we we have by far the two best cranking rods on the planet. Um, we're lucky. Um, what, what we really, are really are. What rods are those? What rods are the uh, two best? No, I mean, like, I was talking about the Rebound and the Magritte. Yeah. Yeah, well, just, yeah. just for people that might have missed it, naming the rods that you have. Yeah, so, so like... The rebound and the mag rebound are, are those cranking applications that I was talking about from Alpha Angler. So the the mag is just a seven six medium heavy, whereas the regular rebound is a seven foot heavy. Um, I can tell you right now the rods fish like they're a lot longer. Um, we're allowed we're able to make them shorter um, based on we we make our rods with perfect balance. And that means if, if we're using an application where you want the rod tip up, it's always going to be balanced rod tip up mm. so that you're not like fighting to keep that rod tip up. Like our rods are always, it's something we really hugely strive for is to balance our rods perfect. It makes them feel a lot lighter overall. And it, it they they fish like a much longer rod because since they are balanced so good and we place the guides so perfectly, they cast farther, you, they give you more leverage, like everything just fishes like, like a rod of a different length based on the fact that it really truly is like cut and, and, uh, and, and, and calculated to be perfect in terms of all of its dimensions. And, um, There'll be times all the time where I know I'm fishing a seven footer. It feels like a seven four. There'll be times where like I go to flip under a bush and I'm fishing, um, I'm fishing a seven three and it feels like I'm, or, or if I'm skipping under docks where it feels like I'm using a six eleven, but I'm actually using a seven three because since they are balanced, perfect, they, they feel like what they should be based on your application. So um, don't, if you ever do order from us, don't get hung up on the fact that it's like three inches longer, three inches shorter than you're used to. Like don't get hung up on those silly numbers on a sticker. (laughs) Don't get hung up on weight ratings. Like 
<laughs> be smarter than the sticker. We're diving into the selling of product again. And, yeah. and, and so I ask you this in, in your, our conversations, I fish off a kayak mainly. And, and so you're throwing crankbaits that, that aren't shallow is hard in a kayak. I mean, even with spot lock, you're, 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 uh-huh. you're still, you're still dealing with that pull and tug and getting the bait down yeah. to the strike. Yeah, there's a lot of resistance there. Yeah. Yeah. But for, for anybody crankbaiting kayak or not, it's all about casting. I think a lot of people overlook the importance of the accuracy and how long you cast that crankbait because how you position your boat and how you cast, and this goes back to another thing with professional anglers, they can position their boat knowing that they're going to make the same cast every single time to get that crankbait to where the fish are. You know, the rest of us, you know, I'm a, it's, it's that casting side of it. You got to be able to be accurate with it. And then you got to know how long you can make it. And so a, a rod that casts well, to me, is more important than what I feel on the bottom. Because you can learn how to feel on the bottom, but if I can't cast that thing far enough away to get that, that crankbait down, then I'm at a disadvantage. You know, I'm gonna miss I'm gonna miss a lot of those fish. And that was one of that was one of the the things that we've talked about that that really got me excited about this rod was you talked about the castability of it. And oh, I yeah. like that because I, I have to you know, I'm not an accurate caster at all. I'm a, I'm a damn, I'm a sling that motherfucker out there. I don't accurate cast worth a shit. I don't flip worth Bandy a Bandy hammer. How yeah. distance? I, yeah. <laughs> look, look, I, I don't care what it, I want to get, I want to get as far away from the bank as I can to make a long ass cast and work it. And that's just how I, it's not accurate, but that's how I am. But, Again, it comes to that cranking. I want to make those long casts in any rod that gets me another, you know, five yards or ten yards. Like to me, that's important to me. And yeah. the feeling of it is something I can learn over time with that rod. You can start to understand the bottom composition and how that bait's running off of it if you use the same lures, the same rod, the same line. You can learn all that stuff. But I gotta be able to get it out there to get into strike zone. Yeah, and I mean, like, like what a lot of people would say who are trying to be like real coy, or like, well, wouldn't it be great to have the best of all those worlds? I mean, and and I believe that we do. But here, here is the biggest thing, right? Is going to get more sensitivity and and more feel out of a rod that's just balanced right anyway so like if you have a rod that you can launch now you've reached what you really want and even if you aren't using the best materials on the planet even if you aren't um you know using all of the greatest components on a rod that you can put on it real seat handle guides if your rod is still balanced right, you're going to get a lot of feedback from your line. Mm. Even if you're throwing monofilament and you're not throwing the highest end fluorocarbon you can get, if the rod's balanced right, you're going to get a lot of feedback. 
you're not fighting the rod tip or the 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 system isn't absorbing a mm. lot of a lot of that uh, vibration and, and tactile feedback that you're getting through your fingertips through your hand. So like when you have a rod that's balanced right. And, and a lot of people think you have to like balance the re- the rod in front of the reel. And like, that's not what I'm talking about. Like rod balance is when you stick the rod out and it sits and you don't feel like you're fighting it. Or if you're fishing like a, a tight, like if you're fishing the slasher, which is our jerk bait rod and it sits down low, but you don't have to fight it to get it up. Like you can sit there and like twitch it without feeling like you're fighting the rod when it sits in the position that it's supposed to. And and again, that does, everybody wants to like put their finger on a rod and like, see if it'll like, like, that's not like, stop watching other people. But like balanced, right? It means it sits in your hands and you're not fighting it forwards or backwards based on the, where that rod is supposed to lay for that fishing technique. When it does that, you're going to always feel way more. So, like, stop reading the, the labels. Stop, like, thinking, like, this is a, a, an, an exact science that you can pinpoint. Stop trying to be so smart. Put the rod in your hand and just close your eyes and feel it. And that's when that rod's going to be working the best for you. And, you know, we've spent so many hundreds of hours testing all of these models and we still retest them all the time as new reels new line new baits come out we've tweaked models several times in the like eight years that alpha has been like a mainstream company um we've changed we've changed our seven six heavy we talk about changing other models all the time based on you know how other equipment and fishing techniques are evolving um we only have one line of rods with like, I don't know, 14, 15 skews. Um, so like if our seven, six heavy isn't working anymore, we're going to find another blank or trim it different or run things different based on where the industry is headed. And all of these things will continue to benefit you guys. We're never going to have 30 rods. Like that's, we're not going to have like Daiwa has the Tatula, the Tatula elites, the steezes, the, yeah, you know, there's so many lines within Daiwa, within Megabass, within Shimano, within Dobbins. Like, we're never going to do that. Like, we have a 7.6 heavy and a 7.3 medium heavy. And, like, most of our rods, like, we find the best one for that technique. And when you balance them out right, when you use really good components, all of a sudden they become a rod also that will serve a, a wider uh, scope of fishing applications. Um, and you don't need as many in a lineup then. So we, we offer something really cool and we offer it direct to consumer. You can't buy alpha angler at any other stores. Like you can only buy from our website and, uh, that keeps the price down like 30 to 40% per rod because you're not paying 30 or 40% of that overall price to a retailer. Um, so like instead of a, a rod costing four hundred dollars now it might cost two hundred and fifty dollars. Um, and it's funny and that's big. Yeah, and it's funny because when we initially recorded, you talked about how when you came on, you were getting rods and we're like bugging them about stuff. You know, yeah. hey this and this and this. But you know, that uh, that comes that comes into some 
you know, when you go into product production, it comes into, you know, that outside thinking. But we do have another good question from Mike, and I asked him to explain a little bit. He said, do you ever make modifications to any of the baits you use? I said, hey, can you be more specific? And so he says, well, I know if changing hooks out or adding spinners, just wondering if there's any specific things you might do to some baits. You know, it's still not quite out there because you could do, I mean, when we're talking about bait modifications on hooks and stuff, just on cranking baits, you can do a lot of things, but I, I don't know, maybe Joe, if you if you can pull something out of this that that you think he's talking about specifically. I mean, any opportunity that I get to tinker, I'm gonna tinker. Um, you know, like I don't use a lot of things outside of soft plastics straight out of the package. I mean, I, I always think there's some. I mean, again. I have ADHD. I'm going to mess with stuff. So, like, I have a lot of Sharpies and a lot of spike it pens in the boat. I've, you know, I'm not afraid to carve a chunk out of something. Like, if I'm flipping a beaver, I might trim those claws. I might, you know, like, there's, I'm always messing with skirts on jigs and spinner baits and buzz baits. Uh, is skirt on, skirt off? Like, I'm not using very much stuff the way it got shipped to me. Um, yeah, I mean, but do I do anything like really wild? I mean, I don't think I've like found anything cool. I'm not like an innovator. Like I'm just, I you're just, not taking I'm your a, crank baits and shaving down. Yeah. Yeah. Pinks of inches. In yeah. The bill, yeah. You know, yeah, I'm not, I haven't got head. there. Yeah. No, no, I haven't got there. I mean, I, I, I'll say this, like, and you mentioned it. I mean, I use very, very few stock hooks on anything I buy. Mm. Um, okay, I work well, with, so, so no stock I, I hooks. Then, cool then what do you? No stock hooks. Then, do you have a specific brand of oh, hooks? Yeah. Okay, so, so yeah. go into that because that's interesting. That's super interesting. Oh, your headphones just died. Mine aren't too far off. <laughs> oh shit! I can't hear you. He, he he fucked up the live stream. Yeah, he's he's fixing it. Got it. All right. So <laughs> I heard him die on me. Um. So here's the big thing: is like, so if you ever buy a jig or a crankbait, and that brand isn't one of the like major hook manufacturers. So like Berkeley obviously has, they, they, they're having their own hooks produced. Right. But like, and Spro uses all Gamagatsu. Gamagatsu, That's right. So outside of that, a lot of hooks for a lot of companies are like, if you buy a, um, a mega bass crankbait, or if you buy a, uh, um, I know, like, I think a lot of um, Strike Kings have mustads on them. But uh, outside of any brands that are, like, partnered, if you go to buy, like, a Dirty Jigs or, or your favorite jig, in most cases, a lot of the hooks that are made for these products are made in an OEM factory, right? 
the number one OEM hook manufacturer in worldwide is BKK. All right. BKK about four or five years ago, about five years ago, started um, getting like started making under their own brand umbrella instead of just producing these OEM hooks for everybody else's stuff. They finally decided to just be like, you know what, we're going to, we're going to manufacture and brand and sell our hooks in our own packaging. So I, I got hooked up with BKK a little less than a year ago and I have spent so much money learning that entire line, the saltwater line too. Um, and, and I use BKK for as much stuff as I can. What I found is that they can take the same diameter hook and it's way stronger and stays sharp mm. way longer than any other, any other twin that, that is out there any other doppelganger under a different brand. Um, they stay sharper longer and they're just stronger. They use a different, different hard and every, so Gamagatsu owner, decoy, must add BKK. Everybody uses basically the exact same materials. Cause I asked them, I was like, guys, are you guys getting a higher quality steel? Like, or is it a higher quality product that you're starting with? Why is yours better? Why do I see they're staying sharper longer? Why do I see that they're stronger? And I said, no, this, and they taught me what I'm about to tell you guys. It's all about the process they use to harden the materials. Mm. And uh, they are just using a uh, uh, more extensive, um, more labor intensive, um, more expensive process to do this. Um, and it, it's what's offering the highest grade product. And, and if you like gummies or you like owners, I'm, I'm not trying to tell you to change. Um, you know, there was a time in my life where I used to argue with people and be like, you know what, the guys, I'm telling you, this is the best. If you don't want to take my word for it, don't like I'll that's more hooks that are in stock for me and I'll catch more fish and I'll take it. Um, but if you're the type who is like, you know what? I, I think I'm going to try them. You know, you should, I'm not trying to sell you guys on anything. Like it, it really is the best. It, they just are. And, and it, every single hook they make is better than something someone else makes. I, I haven't found one that's not yet. Um, there, there's a couple models that have some like twins too. Um, but, uh, BKK is always going to be stronger and sharper. It just is the way that it is. Um, now maybe you like different angles or something. And if there's a hook that you just, you, you're really into like this angle of the bend or, well then use what you like. But if BKK makes a twin, it's always going to be better than what you're using. I'm telling you right and on hooks with 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 any bait that you're it, with a treble hook on it, so you're obviously chunking and reeling. Mm-hmm. You get into an area where you're catching catfish, mm-hmm. you're catching perch, mm-hmm. you're catching you know you're catching a lot of fish on these that aren't bass that you're mm-hmm. looking for. The durability of that hook, mainly how sharp it stays after because every time you hook a fish Mm -hmm. it's taking away it's taking away some of some of that pinpoint pressure and all that 
Yeah. Like, you know, the average angler isn't going to be changing out treble hooks in the middle of a tournament, or they're not going to have three or four different baits of that same lure that they're using to yeah. be able to change that lure out and throw the other one in the back of the, you know, in, in the Especially damn if you're in a kayak. Huh? Especially if you're in a kayak. Yeah. So, you know, if you're in an area where you're catching a lot of fish, bass, it doesn't matter. You're just hooking a lot of fish. Mm-hmm. The durability of that hook does matter. And I used to never really care until I started fishing for money at the kayak. And now I'm like, these fucking hooks suck. I'm changing these bastards out. And, and you know, some of our lakes here shit this last damn tournament. I caught 30 something fish. Huh? Not a damn nary, not a damn bass, not a not, not a large mouth. But I got I got to thinking because I'm using a couple of my crankbaits, and these are the ones that I've caught fish on. I'm like, shit, you know, I'm catching all these fucking catfish. They're ter- they're hitting it hard as hell. You yeah. know, the hooks are in them. They're eating it. Yeah, you know, I'm pulling. I got the pliers. You know, all this shit. And I'm thinking, damn, what if I catch, the, you know, a big bass? Mm-hmm. Is it going to stay hooked? So yep. the durability of those hooks really does, it does matter over time, especially for the everyday angler where they're not changing those hooks out after each tournament or each time they go fishing. You know, they're using that same damn lure until they lose it. <laughs> so the yep. durability of the hooks really does, it, it does matter. And that quality matters. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think whether you fish you know on the weekends or whether you fish for a living i think uh yo what's up adam i think uh i I think it matters um Mm -hmm. and and here here's why i'll say that too is bkk isn't pricing their hooks higher than their competitors when they're the best it's not like it's not i mean you know like pack of treble hooks is like six seven bucks you know and you're depending on the size you're getting the same amount as any other brand so it it's it, there it's easy for me to to promote them just like i promote for alpha angler because the price is either comparable or lower and the quality is better um so that that's one of the reasons that that i i work for both of those brands is you know, the quality difference is noticeable and, uh, you know, they're not outpricing any of our consumers, you know, like any of you guys that are interested in using a BKK treble hook or a BKK EWG, you're not like going to be all worried that if you lose that bait with those hooks on it or something, you're like, Oh man, like I'm, I'm just, I'm totally like I'm I'm out on my ass like money wise. No, like they're they're cheaper or the same price as their twins. So yeah. And my anecdotal evidence to hooks is this. I love fishing spooks. This time of year, down here where I am in North Carolina, the spook is is and like that's that's it. They're they're gonna hit them. And yeah. when you buy a spook, it's got the damn stainless steel, whatever saltwater hooks it has on it Mm. and last year i caught a lot of fish on a spook 
Mm-hmm. When you're fishing, and I fish the the Spook Junior and the Super Spook, so so big ones. When those fish hit it, they're not you know they're not getting that whole thing in their mouth. Mm-hmm. And I started losing fish left and damn right. I was getting pissed and blah blah. So I, I changed and I changed to a different hook, a, a good hook. This is a Gamakatsu hook. And when I changed to that. I quit losing. I was losing fish in tournaments. Is pissing me off. It shouldn't have been losing them. I changed hooks. Guess what happened? My hook rate went up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but here's the thing: as those hooks got worn out, I started yeah. missing fish again. Yeah. So I'm like, shit! I got to buy more hooks. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. My, and in 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 fishing, and God Almighty, this goes back to selling shit. Uh-huh. The fishing is so anecdotal. Oh, but yeah. That's even, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Even so much of what you talked about today with with your fishing experience is anecdotal. Yeah. You, the line, the rod, the reel, the lure, the hooks, they are specific to how you like to fish and mm-hmm. how you set the hook and how you play a fish. Yep. But you, we all have to figure that out, but but damn, at least ha- give yourself a fighting chance by replacing the hooks on your shit. When the hook gets bent out and you bend it back, don't keep fishing that fucking lure. Buy some more. The, buy the hook that you like and put that bitch back on there. Put a yeah. new one on there. Don't keep bending that shit out. But that's me because I'm frugal, a.k.a. I don't have money. So, well, <laughs> but I, I, will mean- buy, I will buy hooks now. I, matter of fact, I just bought a bunch of damn hooks, treble hooks that I keep in my shit mm-hmm. for that specific reason. If I yeah. lose a fish, and I mean, you know, that I, that's my anecdotal evidence to all of this, and that's fishing in general, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it, it's, and it's funny to like think about, okay, so. It has equipment shaped my experience or has my experience shaped my equipment, like Mm. preferences, Mm. you know, like chicken or the egg type shit. Right. Like which came, which came first, like which drives, which, yeah, it's funny to think about all of that, but it, it, it definitely all comes together. I mean, and, and our, our financial, our, our financial situations definitely lead to that. Like if somebody lost their job during COVID, they may have chose, chose a different path than they were previously on in terms of the equipment they chose for the last two years, you know? So yeah, it's funny to think about all of that though. But you're in, in you talk, we're talking about something as minuscule as a treble hook, a $6 pack of four, for three treble hooks, you're fishing to for what you want to do for a, a lifestyle for your yeah. career. Yeah, I you, mean, you're gonna you're gonna make that change more often than the guy just sat there fiddle farting around on the weekend. Oh, it's I mean there are certain things that uh, people would probably vomit at the fact that like there's shit that I will throw away that plenty of people are probably like. <laughs> Oh my God, you don't, you won't use that. And I'm like, hell no. Like you're taking Gamma concert, brand new 
gamma hooks off and throwing them in the damn trash. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there is, I mean, and don't get me wrong. Like I'm kind of a hoarder. There is a lot of things that I will say, <laughs> but there, but like, even, even there are things that like, that I will not save that most people would be like, you gotta be freaking kidding me or throwing that away. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I mean, it's just, it is, it's, it's anecdotal there. My experiences have led me to feel a certain way about certain things. And, you know, that just is what it is like that. That's the path that I'm on. It's not the path that anybody else is on. And this is, this is how I drive my bus. This is how I run my program. And it's well, what yeah. And it comes, it comes down to how you fish too. Like I don't, I don't fiddle fart. Like I, I horse you fish. Fiddle fart? No, <laughs> I don't fiddle fart. I horse fish. <laughs> I want to get them to the kayak and lip them or put them in the net. Like I'm not, I'm not doing it. And, and I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a gorilla, a bull, whatever the fuck you want to call it in a china shop. Yeah. That's how I fish. So I need, I, I can't have a willy nilly hook. You know, I can't have shit that don't work right. So, but Adam says I'm planning on uploading a video of hook points under a microscope. That's interesting. Um, Adam, holler at me on Instagram or Facebook and let's connect because when you put those up, I want to see that. I think that'd be interesting to see. Uh, we got another question real quick from Adam. Yeah, it depends on the brand. So, like, I, I was I saw that come through the chat. So, like, so there are certain types of plastics and certain brands that use certain types of plastics that I will not put them back on a hook. Um, and then there are certain brands and certain types that I'll put them back in the package. And it's just like been, it's been my experience. Like and there are also certain types of baits that I, I won't put back on a hook. Like I will not put a swim bait on a hook more than once mm. on like a big head Unless, like, unless it's by cast, like this is the one company that makes a, a type of plastic like that I can reuse, hmm. um, you know, like it's, it's, it's not a last tech, but it's, it's really, really durable. And like, I can take this swim bait off and put it on a different style jig head if I want. Um, this is one of the few companies where I will reuse their plastic. Um, but uh, all right, real quick, real quick. Those companies where you can reuse plastic are typically associated with plastics that are stiffer. Does the typically. motion, does the motion, and I'm asking because I don't know, does the flexibility, let's take Kitex for instance, right? Kitex are like one fish <laughs> plastics. Like you catch a fish and that thing's it, it's fucked. You got to throw it away. But they talk about how the the action of that contact is so good, but it's so good because the plastic's soft. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know I mean, if I'm making sense. But does what the harder the plastic, the more you can reuse it. Does it take away the action, or does it give it action, or are there are there baits and lures that are kind of in the middle that do both? Um, you know, like it, it's see, uh, this is where, I mean, it's such a tough answer. There's, 
if we're speaking in generalities, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of exceptions to the rules. Like there are gems in the industry. I mean, like, so I just gave you one of them, like cast CAST mm-hmm. super great example. I mean, this is one of like to the touch softest materials ever, but then you mm-hmm. go and pull on it. And it's like, it's this, it's not stretchy like a last tech. Like if this was an elastic tech minnow, I could stretch it to like here, you know, I could stretch it three, four feet. If this was, if this was an elastic tech, but cast like that's, that's all the stretch you're going to get out of it. For some reason, it's really soft, really lifelike, but it has some durability to it. Like there's a bunch of gems in the industry. This just happens to be one of them. I, I taught you about one. Keep, keep talking because I'm going to. So, all right. So, you talk about casts and you're showing that bait. Uh-huh. I fish I fish a lot of Lago Shad. The Storm the Lago, Lago Shad. Yeah. From Rap- yeah. from, is it Rapala or Storm? Storm. Storm. And so, obviously, it doesn't have the stretch that you're talking about, but it's a, it's a firm bait, right? Mm-hmm. Hold yours up. Hold that cast up, straight up, straight up, like this, like mine. Look at the bend in that versus the bend in this. What what is that? A, is that a four inch? Mm-hmm. So I think this is this is a this is a three point eight three inch. This is a three inch, so it won't have it. But this this bait is very durable. Mm-hmm. Right? I can catch a lot on it. Doesn't matter what it's on. But what you're what you've been showing, mm-hmm. what I've been showing, it it seems like if we go back to action and and soft versus hard, what you're showing is way. I mean, it's as durable, but it has that that action. It's, yeah. it's softer, right? Yeah, it's it's really like back here, or sorry, back here in this section that really kicks. Like mm-hmm. behind that door, behind that, where's my red hat? Behind that dorsal fin that's up on my hat. It, it, that bait just, it's, it's crazy soft back there. I mean, it takes mm, like yeah. nothing at all to get that thing to kick. Like, like, I mean, yeah. that thing okay. wants to kick. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of it too depends on like, some baits may be like maybe durable up here in the ho- near where your hook comes out, or they may be durable up here where you know the the hook enters. But if that plastic isn't the right kind of composition, it it may be too durable back here also. So I mean, every every company's got its own formula and its own mm. kind of thing that it's good at. So, so this this one right here that I'm shaking in my right hand is mm-hmm. a Kitek, mm-hmm. same size as the Lago. Mm-hmm. And if I catch a fish on the Kitek, it's yeah. done. <laughs> like yep. I, I, that shit goes in the bottom of the boat and I have to clean it out. The right. Lago rigged the same way. I, I catch a, I can re-rig this a couple different times. Good. So that's yeah. that's interesting, but but again, what does everybody say about the Kitex? Oh man, it's, it's it's that action. It's because they're soft. Yeah, I mean, and again, something about this plastic, it's really soft. Like it's 
it just it doesn't rip like it doesn't tear there's zero salt in this plastic and it it's able to still have like some elasticity to it which you don't really see out of your standard like rubber like Mm. your standard soft plastics like this is it's neat it's a cool little proprietary deal and it doesn't react with your other soft plastic baits like like uh elastic <laughs> does you know how like elastic will eat like a sanko yeah, yeah it'll eat it it'll yeah. eat it and then it all turns into fucking goo yeah yeah this one this stuff doesn't do that like it's cool that's interesting like, that's interesting. They're doing, that's what and that's what you're throwing on the. Are you? That's not that. wasn't a ball head you you showed up. What, what no, head, this, what, what I, I that's a Gamagatsu Superline jig head hook. Um, see if it'll zoom in a little better. If it'll focus. Oh yeah, that's good. Um, so I like this one because uh, this one has a. Uh, oh, apparently I don't know my righty tighties, but this one has a screw lock in it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is a yeah Gamagatsu Superline. I a lot of the swim bait hooks that I use um, have screw locks in them. This would be my last question, and then we'll wrap it up. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> I know you got to pee. You ain't. We've been here two hours and forty minutes. You ain't going tinkle. You ain't nah, got another never. Red Bull. Nah, I mean. Good. When you texted me and like told me you were told me we were gonna do it, I was I like you know I did everything I needed to do before. Yeah, the sh- okay, well shit, damn, I'd have had tinkle twice, but that's how it goes. Well, so the the small those four inch or less swim baits, mm-hmm. right? You're targeting those fish. What's the difference in that head you're using versus uh, Okashira versus a ball head? Like, what are we trying to? It, it, is does that go back to anecdotal what I'm comfortable and and feel good with or like are we getting different actions like so when you're when you're fishing those small swim baits on a specific head that you like with four facing sonar t- targeting big fish are you choosing a certain one or like what is why are you choosing that jig head all right so first and foremost for me large mouth, small mouth. I have different for both. All right. Mm. Uh, and then the next question becomes bait caster spinning rod. All right. Then okay. the next question becomes three, four, five inch. What are we throwing? Um, so all three of those things are really important. I mean, um, and I'm sure if I fished more spotted bass, that that would be a bigger question in the equation as well, even though I'd probably be using a lot of the same things I'm using for smallies. Smaller, yeah. um, so, you know, like those are the three really important questions, um, you know, bait size, uh, fish species and bait caster spinning rod. They're, they're big. Um, so like for this one, uh, four inch swim bait, large mouth bait caster. Um, hmm. that, that, yeah, like that, that's my hook for that application. Um, does, does real speed and real line matter on that? Again, I use alpha anglers and really high end line. Like the equation has wide, uh, margins. Okay. So I can, 
I can change line size and, and, you know, like still get away with being able to kind of still use this, this in this application. Yeah. I mean, like, but smallies, like there are a bunch of different heads I use, like between the Okashira head, I wish they made a quarter ounce Okashira head. Um, uh, you know, like I, and I use a couple other brands. And again, now this, when I go to those smallies, it depends on a, a big one. Like I have three different heads depending on, uh, f- just for smallmouth, depending on line or, uh, bait, like which bait I'm using, which size head, um, and, uh, whether it's spinning or bait casting, like just well, to be well, on smallmouth. So, all right. What are why why the different heads? Is it an action? Okay, so, is it sync rate? What, yeah, what? It, it's a lot of times like so. What a lot of brands will do is when they go from like a quarter to like say a half ounce, they may use the exact same hook. And when you start mm-hmm. wadding up lead, now you start like changing mm. the gaps between the hook point and the line tie. Like if that ball head starts to get bigger and wad up, now you're changing how much room you have and how much bite is there to get a small mouth, you know, caught when, when he goes and tries to eat that thing. So like I I've found that like in a quarter ounce and in three eighths, I like one brand, but in a half ounce, I like another better. And that's all for smallies using like a three or a four inch on a spinning rod. But I'll, I'll use different in a half ounce than I will in quarter and three eighths. And, and it, it matters because a lot of these brands yeah. aren't, they don't make everything in the same dimensions. When the hook gets bigger or the ball head gets bigger, the hook, they don't change things. They think, okay, like, so they might have a quarter ounce, <laughs> a half ounce that sucks ass, and like it pisses me off. So I have to go find another half ounce freaking head I like better. So like, I, Joe, Joe, Joe's over there with a file oh. the day before a tournament with a micrometer, being like, oh. but it, hey, this relates to spinner baits a little bit too. Yeah, you know how you 100%. have spinner baits that have they're a half ounce, and the half ounce is all in the head. Versus a spinner bait that has a yeah. small head, yep. and then there's whatever ounceage that's built into below the head into yep. that first part of the hook. Well, and yeah. like, and I get it with football jigs too. So like when mm. I when I fish a jig in a river, okay. So if you use, if you have a you might have a three eighths that gets hung up all the time. Mm. But, but a half ounce that doesn't get hung up. And a lot of that'll be based on, well, is all of the weight in the head or does some of the weight run down the shank and what size chunk rock are you fishing? And like, Oh man. This- so I, yeah, I started. So I really got into shaky head fishing here this year and I bought a few different shaky heads to try and two of the shaky heads that I tried get caught up in the rock. I, I mean, hung. I got to break off or pedal over there to get the shit out. Versus the the one shaky head that I got, it, it comes through all that stuff. So I mean, you know, um, yeah. 
Yeah, go do what you got to do real quick. Oh, so, I, I thought we were going to wrap it up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, no, one no, last finish. question. Finish. Yeah. No, that's it. That's it. That's that's the shape of the heads and where the weight goes. That's interesting. Yeah. Dude, God, this this little tidbit. Oh, my God. People, we got five people, and we've had five to seven all night. There's a lot of people that missed a lot of shit. Yeah. Do do so. The other, do you ever use flukes? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, and I got, I have all kinds. Like, Cast actually makes like uh, one of these with that has a grub tail on the back. Um, I really like to swim that grub tail. It's it's the four inch version, but instead of the the boot tail, it's got a grub tail. So if I'm like using like a fluke style bait on the back of a chatter bait or uh, as a trailer, I go with with casts a lot now as a spinner bait trailer and as a buzz bait trailer. And I really like that one. Um, if I'm using it to fish a fluke, like herring style mm-hmm. for, for like, or, or like to have it dart around. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't use the cast one. I have a couple different ones that I like. It depends on like how fast I'm moving it. Like Berkeley makes a good max scent one. Um, you know, X zone, mm-hmm who I work with makes a good one that darts around really nicely. Uh, Strike King. I use those for years and years at caffeine shad. Smallies seem to just gnarly choke it deep. Um, That's what she said. So, so Joe holler, we've talked about alpha. You've talked about some other people. Is there anybody else you want to holler at? We're going to wrap this up right now. We've been two hours and 47 minutes. This is great. I mean, really Um, just the best, the best stuff that I can say to everybody, like it, you know, watch, watch our podcast too. Like watch serious angler too. Like what, what podcast is yours now? Can't say that without saying yeah, I mean, like Big Bass Dreams Big is on Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern yeah, Standard Big, Time. Big Ass Dreams, as I used to call it. Yep, yeah. So, like, but my point is, like, watch us, watch Serious Angler. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think what are some of the other ones I like. Bass, and Bass, watch and Bass U. Yeah, watch. Well, and Bass <laughs> University, and and just like put these on and listen. Like you, you learn so much from just putting the stuff on in the background stuff you'll absorb and not even realize it. And yeah, I mean, do it. De- definitely. Right. Do it. Anybody that's got any questions, where do they find you? Where can they send you questions to answer? Oh yeah. I mean, you guys are welcome. You can DM me at Joe LaBarbera fishing on Instagram. You can message big bass dreams. I, I run that their social media. I run Alf anglers, social media. Like, yeah. I mean, I do customer service for a lot of brands through their social medias. So yeah, just, just don't be afraid to reach out and ask questions. There's a lot of guys like me too, who run social media for a lot of brands. So anytime you have questions, like, don't be afraid to reach out to a company. You'll find out real quick, like if the person behind the uh, the typey typey is uh, somebody that that knows what they're talking about or not. Like, I mean, I, I'll answer you really honestly on the pages that I run, and I think you can. You guys are pretty smart shoppers, I'm sure. At this point, you'll figure out if people are just trying to sell you more baits or if they're really willing to like give you honest opinions. Yeah, so holler at Joe if, if you have any questions outside of this. Do not holler at Bass and Brews because we're going to send you to Joe or somebody yeah. else. 
But yeah, hey man, thank you for coming on. Thank you for all yeah. the engagement from folks tonight. This was impromptu. We 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 had a shitload of questions. We had some good ones. Had a lot yeah. of interaction. That's awesome. Yeah. We're gonna wrap this up. We're gonna head on out. Joe, any any parting words, Hoss? Uh, uh <laughs> I like turtles. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> look, we talked about so much shit tonight, and and I can promise you, between Joe and I, we didn't talk about a sixteenth of oh, what yeah. we could continue to keep doing. Uh, yeah. Thank y'all. We're gonna wrap this up. Bass and Brews podcast. Big Bass Dreams Podcast. Alpha Angler Rods here with Joe. Holler at him if you have any more questions. Thank you. This is Bass and Brews. It's going to be one second and a half to get the shit together. Hell.